Xbox give Japan a golden shower. Well, hello and welcome to Triangle Square, the PlayStation podcast. I'm your host, Brett Beck, and alongside me this week, as always, is one... Saul Bridges. Look, I did accidental delay. Bringing y'all lucky episode 265. And alongside me is... Chris Fix. There we go. It's me, Chris Fix. It was the the opposite role. Chris, did you take some Adderall before the show started, buddy? (laughs) I wanted to win this one. (laughs) (laughs) It's a competition now? Yeah, he always jukes me. And I'm like, oh, I let him juke me this week. <laughs> well, guess what, guys? This may be a PlayStation and gaming podcast, but apparently there's some there's some competition here now. Is this a sporting event? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who can I feel come like in? I, I, when I listen to the episodes, I feel like I'm training to dodge Saul's punches when he gets me with <laughs> with my. Name. Are we gonna edit? Are we gonna like edit in like a, a montage of you <laughs> a montage, and it's just you like trying to get to where you immediately say it as soon as you're cutting down that delay so you can get more and more confident. It's and your like, confidence starts to exude so much that Saul's confidence starts to wane, and that's why he <laughs> becomes slow. Maybe it's that, or maybe it's because he has a mouthful of tart yogurt. <laughs> What I do think, you think what we is, do is it's, it's a montage of me like exercising, <laughs> running up the Philadelphia courthouse or whatever he does in Rocky, you know, and yep. then there's loud music playing. It's super hyped up. And then it pulls out and it's just me running up the stairs. And all you hear is just Chris Fix! <laughs> <laughs> just over and over again. <laughs> so it's like the entire time you're running up as you practicing. So yeah, your own it's name. me starting new episodes of the show to put my name into it. Anyway, how's it going this hey, week? Hey, Chris, hey, uh, Saul, how's that yogurt, buddy? It's tart. <laughs> so here, here's the question: You were saying like tart. you better like tart yogurt when you were you were, I guess, recommending that that yogurt to me. Is that is that where we're going? With yeah, that? well, I was just I mean, saying like a lot of people. I would say a lot of people. I'd say about half the people you talk to you talk to about yogurt, they're gonna like they're gonna be some sweet yogurt. Well, you know why that is? It's because we're kids. We're sitting in school. We get to we get dropped off early, you know, or we get on the we get off the bus that comes and picks you up two and a half hours before school starts because you live in the middle of nowhere. You get to school, you go in, you gotta wait like an hour before lunch before school starts. So you're in the cafeteria, you're getting that free breakfast because you're a poor little kid. Um, and they give you a gogurt tube. And so your entire mind is set to think that yogurt is supposed to be this like incredibly sugar packed thing. And then you grow up and someone gives you Greek yogurt for the first time in your life. And you're like, what the fuck is this? Which to be fair, I grew up on gogurt. Y'all remember those tubes when you were a kid where there was two different flavors of gogurt and you'd tear the end off. And as you push them up, you'd get both flavors in at a time. There were tricks yogurt. They'd be, they'd be hidden. That, that was hidden, but no, I actually I like uh, I like bitter yogurt. I, I don't want to call it bitter. I guess that's not really the white, right way to say it. But tart is a good way to describe it. I don't mind that. It is tart, yeah. But I'm also not going to sit here and act like Yo Play, which is I'm pretty sure. I feel like I remember there being a weight loss like campaign where like they were saying like Yo Yo Play is healthy. I remember and my that mom too. would buy those Yo Plays, and I would, dude. Their key lime pie yo play and their strawberry yo play, mixed berry yo, all of that. Um, delicious. I am not a key so lime good. pie man. 
Oh, dude. Key lime pie. Here's the problem with key lime pie. You ever seen, you know, Dexter when old, old ladies like, I want the best piece of key lime pie. <laughs> I don't know if I'm the only person that just happens to really remember that. But uh, Dexter for me is omelette du fromage. That's all I remember. Well, I mean, I remember not Dexter's war, lab. Like, I'm talking about Dexter the killer, stabby, stabby guy. Um, There's a person about Key Lime Pie in that show? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That what was season? Chris remembers. Oh, yeah. Uh, two, three? No, it's way later than that. I think. No, it's not. No, because I recently right. watched it through not, four. It's not, it's not, it's not, it's and not. it's before that. Uh, hmm. I don't remember that at all. I think three sounds right in my head. Yeah. Uh, but regardless. Yeah, not omelette du fromage. Um, <laughs> even though that's classic, it's just a it's a different Dexter, you know. One Dexter's mom is dead, and the other one's got a thick mom. So you know the difference being, <laughs> you may want to do stuff to the thick mom. I don't think you're going to want to do stuff to Dexter's dead mom. They do choose to show her in flashbacks, though. So maybe that's your thing. I don't I know. Mean, his dead mom's hot. You're not wrong. You know what? Nothing like starting a podcast off with some necrophilia. And with that, we're going to move into what we've been playing this week. Very Persona. Chris. Uh, oh, God. I, you know what? I've still yet to play Persona. And clearly, I have zero idea of what it is. Uh, Chris. Yes. Hi. I'm throwing it at you this week. What have you been playing? Let the people know. Um, Give them the outcry. Tell them that you are loving The Witcher 3. I'm playing... The Witcher 3, it's it's definitely a game. It has quests and a story. And a Wait, are character. you telling me that games have to have quests to be a game? I mean, don't all games have quests? It, not really. Tetris has a quest. Hold on. Tetris has a quest? Yeah, the quest is to get to the next level. That's a goal. That's not a quest. That's What's the, the same difference? Thing. A quest has, like, structure behind it. Something that <laughs> it, 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 it's... <laughs> I would argue that I don't consider those the same thing. You can argue back, uh, and I will gladly take the argument. But I would not call, hey, what's the goal? Does Minecraft have quests? I'm going to hold. Or at least this is what I'd say. This is what I'd argue. In the modern take of what people say the word quests for, if you came up to me and I was asking you about a game, and you're like, yeah, the game's got quests, I'd be like, oh, okay, cool. It's like an RPG-ish like system where you go and you get things that you've got to complete. I wouldn't be like, oh, the game has a goal because, of course, the game has a goal. It's what games are. <laughs> so that's all I'm arguing. But aren't quests just yeah. mini goals inside your big goal? Yeah, normally. Okay. Um, but no, I got the... <laughs> the big goal being to beat Tetris? Yes. <laughs> I'm not saying the you're USSR. wrong. I'm just saying that I don't <laughs> think that if you went up to someone and said, hey, the new Tetris game has a quest, that they would think that you meant the, the new Tetris game wants you to beat one level so you can get to the next level. I don't think anyone would think that that's what you meant. I, I'm just saying there was a kid in high school for everyone. Everyone had this kid in high school who went to class and said he was on a quest to get the best grades. Okay. I've been playing Witcher 3. I've been playing MLB 22 The Show. That was my 100th Platinum. I crossed that That's a game. Line this week. It's got graphics and inputs. It does. And goals and quests. <laughs> <laughs> I just like that when you have so many other vague describers that can actually be used, you choose yeah. to <laughs> to go towards those. It's got, <laughs> you know, it's got geometry and yep. graphics, <laughs> controls. There's text. 
It's got a um, menu. <laughs> it does have a menu. But yeah, I uh, I got the MLB Platinum. That was it was, it was good. A lot easier than I expected. So now they've just been coming. I also platinum. If it counts, I platinum Resident Evil Three PS Five Edition. I, I didn't play. I mean, it. it counts because it's on your list. Yeah. You did you you the the goal if we're going to call them that the quest mm-hmm. that you completed for that platinum was just hitting download and then migrate save so <laughs> i don't know i didn't even i wasn't even sure if it would do it and then literally like if you look at my psn profiles it says resident evil 3 platinum in 0 seconds <laughs> <laughs> it's wild but yeah, yeah so it's pretty, it's pretty wild but um i've been playing some a little bit of resident evil 2 cuz i have to for that platinum, I have to do the fourth survivor again for some reason. And there's a small part of me that just wants to re-download the PS4 version and see if my save didn't upload or something. But I won't. That's got to be what it is. Yeah, it's not that hard. I got like all the way to the end, but like the end is just a gauntlet of like Mr. X is chasing you, and then there's liquors and there's other things like the vine monster. I'm like, this is a lot of crap coming at me. But I did it once. I'll do it again. <laughs> you know, I've got a. A thing to, I guess, throw out there. Resident Evil 2 Remake is a great game, and I really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. And I, I only played it. Leon's scenario because I, at that point, I was kind of like, yeah, I feel done with this game for the time being. And you I should play on. Claire's. But like, if you know what Maybe. you're doing, I, I'd be... My two hardcore runs for Platinum were both less than two hours long. So like, it's just a matter of knowing how to play the game. I mean, yeah, clearly you can... The the bread and butter of a lot of Resident Evil players is the fact that the game is essentially meant to be whittled down to how quickly you can move through it. Mm-hmm. They're not hard once you know the... Which I like games like that, right? Games that take a long time the first time, but once you start to figure them out, you can just nail them down very quickly. Yeah. Um, I like that idea behind games, but... I, you know, it's weird. Like, I don't think... did the well, I know when I played Resident Evil 2 on PS1, I only ever played Leon... I don't remember playing Claire. So I kind of just repeated history. Uh, and yeah. that's kind of where I'm at. In my mind, I've always, and I'm probably wrong, but I may not be. In my mind, I always just felt like Claire's was more or less the same thing. Nope. And I'm sure I'm entirely wrong, but. Yeah, entirely different second half of the game. All right. Well, apparently I've not beat Resident Evil 2 Remake. I've just beat. <laughs> half of it you have rolled credits on resident evil 2 remake that true is, yeah. that is yeah that is true at what point do you truly complete a game is that a good question to ask like you know like is a game complete i think some some bigger it might have been colin actually was like what's with this idea of being like just rolled credits on this game as if it's some kind of achievement i'm like I mean, it is you you beat a version of the game <laughs> the game yeah, is giving but, you credits because it considers you to have done something worthy of con- being considered in the end. Yeah, but like and it's up to you if, if you, you want to continue. If you playing. only beat the Skyrim uh, main quest, did you actually beat the game? I, I mean, technically, yes. Okay. I mean, yeah. I can't argue against that take because that take is <laughs> a fair take. But now I, I would know. agree that. If you've only beaten Skyrim's main quest, you should absolutely go off and do the other ones because I might even say that some of Skyrim's side quests are better than the main story. Yeah, Dark Brother. The main story for better. Skyrim is pretty good, though. Yeah, Dark yeah, Brother is really good. Um, no, I don't know. For me, it would be like, I know I'm done with the game when I get the platinum. Like, that's it. 
Yeah, but I also don't think that the goal should always be platinum because like Saul talking platinum to the games for a little bit, right? I know I am for you, but the upside <laughs> is is that I have you who who looks at every game as an opportunity for platinum, and then I have Saul who essentially gave up platinuming years ago. Yep. Yeah. I mean, like, I wouldn't be surprised, Saul, if you end up with, like, the Dark Souls 3 plat because it's just a game you play all the time and the chances of it just kind of happening are you being so close that you go ahead and do the rest or there. But the difference is that Saul didn't start playing Dark Souls 3 with the intent to platinum it. He mm-hmm. just ended up platinuming it well, as a I means think- of how much he played it. Dark Souls 3 is kind of the perfect example, at least for Soft, how you know he's not a trophy hunter. Because if he was a trophy hunter, he would have finished it by now. And that's not me saying, because he's not moving fast, but like, would have gone on the forum and been like, hey, drop me these rings, and it would have been over. <laughs> true. That's also true. That. But I think <laughs> yeah. I think Saul has the mentality of, and maybe I'm wrong, Saul, you can clarify, but I think you have the mentality of you want to have actually done it. If I am hunting a platinum... I want it to be because I am at that point 100% done with the game. So I will only go back to play it if it has good replay value through gameplay. So a good example oh, so of that is... you play Soundscape some more? Um, absolutely not. I will never play that game again. <laughs> Chris, have you, have you got the Soundscape Platinum? I don't have the Platinum, but I've played it. There was one level I remember just hating, so I never played it again. Probably the level that I threw my controller on. I uninstalled it, reinstalled it, uninstalled it, reinstalled it three times. Um, <laughs> the problem with that Redemption. game is procedural genera- generation. So it's like the level's there, but it's always slightly different every time it loads in. Yeah. So rough times. Uh, anyway, did you play anything else? I guess we kind of got sidetracked, but did you play anything besides those? Um, you clearly downloaded every Resident Evil game in existence. I did, yeah. I'm debating doing a run-through and getting all those Platinums. I want to. Mm. I did play a little bit. I don't know if I played any this week. I think I mentioned last week that I started Resident Evil 6. But that's you really did. it. It's really just been MLB, Resident Evil, and uh, what was the other game I mentioned? Witcher. Witcher. <laughs> the game that you oh, were literally playing 20 yeah. minutes ago. <laughs> Great story about The Witcher, though. I, was, I, was, I fell asleep last night um, holding the X button, and my horse was galloping. And I guess it stopped gallop or the, I dropped the controller or something. Cause I woke up and I thought I had been like driving my car. It was, it was great. <laughs> Scared the crap out of me. <laughs> what a weird <laughs> sensation. I bet that was. Oh yeah. It was, I felt like I was falling and then I woke up and I'm just staring at Geralt's ass. I'm like, all right, <laughs> here we go. <laughs> have back, y'all ever baby? had, just cause we're talking about the weird sleep thing. Have y'all ever had it to where, I've, I'm, I really, it depends on Saul. You have the highest chance, but Chris, you work in such weird hours that I could see it happening to you as well. <laughs> have you ever had a time where you got home after getting off work and were so tired that you take a nap and the nap is only like one or two hours, but you feel like you slept like 20 hours because you just feel like a log. You wake yep. up and you look at your clock and it's like eight and you're like, oh, it's eight the next day and I'm late to work. <laughs> but then yeah. you get ready and then you walk out of your door and you're like, bro, it's the afternoon. Like it's it's nighttime, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Never had that happen, but I have. If you remember, like one time you came over when I was working at CVS back when I lived at the Lynx. And um I had gotten home at like five o'clock that day and I literally like got down into my jimmies and like went to bed and I and you came over for some reason. I don't remember what exactly, but then like um 
I was I had just woken up and it was eight thirty p.m. and I didn't sleep again that night. Ooh, sleepless nights. I don't know. I remember sometimes at the apartment. I remember PT at your apartment. That was very fun. That was fun. <laughs> that's the. I think that's the most I, fun I've ever had with a group of people playing a video game. Because it was it like was a, it was a great time. It was uh, the Last of Us remastered at your. Uh, I remember looking at that at the beginning of that um, in the uh, for the first time in the living room. Uh, yeah, for remastered specifically when I bought it or. I, I don't remember if that was you or Seth at that particular point, but we somebody had it on the TV in the living room whenever we went. I think it was me. Did Seth ever buy that game? I thought he did, but you know I don't know because he had already beaten it at that point, so it's hard to tell. Either I way, I had beaten it at that point. The apartment. It, oh yeah, is I had, weird yeah, I had because that you've lived at your current apartment for way longer than you lived at the other one. But it but feels I like always we live. Think of the. I feel like you lived at the links for like ten years in terms of memories. Like, I don't know why that is. Rem- it's the same for me. Going back to a fun story for gaming that we may have told in the. If if we've told it, we've told it long ago on the show. But one of the strongest memories I have of your apartment, Saul, is me and Michael convincing you to put the tens unit. On oh yeah. Your- <laughs> On your gooch, and we would yep. go and buy you Metal Gear Solid Ground Zeroes. Ground Zeroes, because Metal Gear Solid was like Ground Zeroes. What did it come out at? Like forty bucks, it was right? Thirty, it was 30, like thirty, I think, and it dropped to twenty. And we were like, "We'll go get it for you today." If yeah. you put, and we've been playing with the tens unit the whole day. We were putting it in our hands and for cramping those, them up. Those and, don't know what a tens unit is. It's an electromagnetic, uh, like therapy, like muscle therapy machine. It essentially makes your muscles contract by sending. Yes, and it is. It is a weird feeling. It's yeah. like if you if like seen, uh, the static. If you've seen you get, Jackass. They had them in Jackass. They were using them in Jackass. And I'll tell you, like, I did not want to buy Ground Zeroes as no. I don't think it was twenty dollars. No, yeah, you're right. It wasn't twenty dollars. It was still. It was still the full price. But it came but out on PS Plus a month later. It was cheaper. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. You did that, and then it would have been free to you anyway. Yeah, but you were still. To be fair, you were also still on piece. You were on Xbox at that point still because we bought Ground Zeroes for Xbox on Xbox. Yeah, that was. Yeah, uh, that was before the PS4. Yeah, because that was. It was before Bloodborne. It was before Bloodborne. Yeah, so that would have been 2012. That would have been 10 years ago. Uh, no, I was already. It would have been 14, 2014. Would it? Yeah, because I was already working at Leadwell at that point. Okay. Yeah. So eight years ago, our, that's you know, crazy. Crazy times. Yeah. All right. Well, let's see. Saul, what you been playing? I have not been playing a whole lot. Um, like, well, I mean, I say that, but I actually have been playing a whole lot this week. Um, You've been playing I, a lot of Master Duel. Yes, I've been playing a lot of Master Duel. Um, I say a lot of Master Duel. Do you Duel. consider I actually that? Do you consider that this is a weird question? Do you really consider that you gaming, or do you feel like you consider that as like practice for Thursday nights? I don't know. It's weird. I actually consider practice at this point. I consider Thursday nights practice for Master Duel. Um, That's probably a better way to to view it. Just because, like with but, Master Duel, like I know eventually when I get to like gold or uh, platinum rank or like diamond rank, I'm gonna have to be using uh like hand traps and stuff. So. It's gonna be real interesting. Um, so, 
yeah, that's going to be weird. But um, I have been playing a lot of Master Duel. Um, I started playing that on Friday, and I played it Friday night, some Saturday night, but then uh, Sunday and then Monday. So I didn't play a whole nice. lot on Saturday. But on the same time, I've been playing KOTOR 1, so Knights of the Old Republic 1 on the Switch as well. Um, I guess we played The Forest technically <laughs> yeah, after, we after we ended the last week's podcast. Yeah, we now, did. I will say this. Um, I downloaded Dying Light 2. Not a fan. Kind of regret it. Really? Yep. Because you liked Dying Light 1, correct? I do. And it, what's weird about this game is it feels... It just made me want to play Days Gone. My man. <laughs> you know, that, that might be the most weirdly like non-purposeful support of a game I've ever heard. <laughs> but well, it has it has these weird like like last gen tendencies. Like sometimes you have you come across containers that you have to hold square to search for and it just auto adds it to your inventory. And sometimes you're just picking things up off the ground, but you have to use a hunter sense or a pilgrim sense or whatever it's called. So it's like you hit R3 to scan the area around you to find the items to pick up. And that just feels like a weird relic of last gen that I don't want to keep going back to. I don't like, I do not like you having to use senses for things. I don't, it's, it's, I, I'm really over it. And the, the second I saw that in that game, I'm like, mm. even though that's technically one of the in days areas. Gone. Well, that's but, one of the areas where I feel like open world games need to change. They get into the sense of where you have a big world and they want you to do all these things within the world so that you can explore what they spent time crafting even when they use, you know, like some people are talking about with Starfield, procedural generation and then clean up on top of it. But they, you know, they don't want to have a huge world but not have you interact with it. But as Chris and I were talking about with like Spider-Man and stuff is I, I feel like so often games, they spend so much time making these open worlds and oftentimes they don't make the open worlds include anything in them that make them worth really spending time in. And so you end up eventually hitting a point where you explore enough to satiate your exploring and then you just mainline the main quest. And while I didn't get enveloped in Elden Ring the way I think a lot of people did, Elden Ring does seem like the antidote to that. That because there's not a main story to get distracted by, the world is your exploration pot and you're literally looking for what to do and where to go and exploring as a means to the end of figuring out how to completely beat the game. Like, I'm not going to act like the game doesn't have the system where it shows you the path you should be taking through the, um, the graces or whatever they're called. But at the same time, the game doesn't guide your hand so strongly that you understand what it's asking you to do. Unlike games like, Horizon Forbidden West, which I enjoyed the game, but I'm not going to act like its world was really that worth exploring because it wasn't. I mean, at the end of the day, the map is populated full of stuff that you're supposed to do, but is any of it interesting and something you want to do? No. Arkham City, a game with a much smaller world than most modern day worlds, feels larger than almost any open world game I've ever played because they fill it with interesting things to see and remember and characters at places that make you think of these areas. And so you remember the whole map for what it is and how it connects to everything else in the game. When for Horizon, you only really remember, what do you even want to call them? Like the, the big areas, like, oh, well, we have the... Um, the showcase areas. This area is real big in the story, so we're going to make sure that you remember it because it's where you are. 
but we can't guarantee that you're going to remember this building on an island over here because it's just kind of optional. And not to say that that's bad. I just really tired of that being the solution for open world games. I really think that something has to happen um, where they look at trying to make the worlds as welcoming and interesting as possible. Spider-Man, big example that we talked about. I would almost argue that Spider-Man's open world would be pointless if they hadn't completely nailed traversal. Yeah. The saving grace for Spider-Man is that it's fun to move around the world. So that feels like the only purpose that the world really serves because you don't have any interesting villains. My hope was forever that Spider-Man from Insomniac and even Miles Morales was going to be Spider-Man a la Arkham City where you have main villains that are going through, but then the rest of the game is you clashing with all these smaller spider villains that have their own interesting motivations and there's little story plots that you go through with that that resolve and make you go, wow, that was interesting. But they don't. The only side quest in the entirety of of Spider-Man is the tombstone (laughs) side quest that feels pointless uh, and does not evoke the same sense of discovery. I forgot that was in the game. Because it's it's unimportant. You know what I remember about Arkham City? Literally, Every quest line. I remember Victor Zaz. I remember going through and finding out the Hush storyline stuff. I remember finding uh, Asriel and going through all of that. The game was... uh, Every side mission was just as fun. It it was a good example. It was Skyrim. You know? I mean, for all the stuff we talked about, Skyrim is a good example of a world that's big and maybe doesn't use literally every square inch. But that game uses enough of its map with enough of its side quests to make you remember that game for more than its main story. And that's not true for games like Spider-Man or I would be willing to bet Dying Light 2 as we were talking about, you know? Well, see, and I think, you know, we used to talk about, or we used to, but we had a topic like, I don't know, six weeks ago about what our, like, what made a game bad for us well i think that's a good trait of what makes a game good is the games that you wish that you were playing instead of the game you currently are playing which i think also <laughs> the side, the flip side of the coin is also what makes that game bad so like the fact that that uh dying light 2 made me redownload days gone shows that i don't consider that a good game and i would rather spend my time elsewhere but then shows the testament of how much i enjoyed days gone even though i haven't finished it versus yep. you know that's a weird testament to days gone but a good one yeah because they see like that's the thing though is that like if there's a game like genres are tricky too so like even though dying light's a first person like parkour action game melee based too and days gone mm-hmm. is not that it's a third person zombie shooter like survival game you clearly have a similar theme which is zombies but then it's like well, one game does zombies way better and the world way better. And the cool thing is, is like Dying Light's world's pretty cool, but it just felt off. It just felt like a game that was made five years too late. Where Days Gone, coincidentally I, enough, made yeah. like five, like maybe five years ago, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I know I didn't pull that number out of my butt, but. Um, yeah, Days Gone was 2019. If I remember so yeah, correctly. three years ago. Um, it feels like that game still holds up to this day. Yeah, so. I'd agree. And, you know, some of that comes from choices that they made. And and I'm not going to act like Days Gone's world's perfect either. Chris was actually talking about last week how uh, you were talking about where you got to in the game where you took Boozer uh, and how yes. it's it's both 
somewhat far in the story, like not crazy far, but it's like you've made progress, but at the, in the grand scheme of things, it kind of feels like you're still early, ga- early days for the game for when stuff really starts to hit. But I think some of the ideas that they utilized are ways to make the world feel more like it's part of what you're going through. One of my favorite features from Days Gone, and Chris, I'm be curious to see how you feel about this one in particular. Okay. I always loved the idea that there was a cost to fast traveling because most games don't, there's, there's not one. And the problem with that is that having no cost to fast traveling and no downside to it, you know, cost in whatever sense that you want to call it, means that you're invited to skip over the world that they've, craft, that they've crafted. And I realize that that's something that they have to do for mass market appeal. But I appreciated that in Days Gone. It was like, you can fast travel all you want, but it consumes fuel. And so you have to be smart with how you choose to do these things because fast traveling could mean that you don't even have enough gas to do the things you need to do without having to scavenge. And and the the reason I liked it, it's like you can fast travel, but if you fast travel, wherever you're going, you're going to have to spend time around it to explore and find the, the materials that you need to keep going. And just that little design change gives you incentive to explore the world around you in a way that a lot of games completely miss. There is no reason not to fast travel in Horizon Forbidden West, if I'm being honest. But there is plenty of reason to either fast travel or not in in a game where resources are scarce and you're having to actually think about what you're doing. And I think that's... For some of the areas that Days Gone is a little obtuse and weird i think it makes up for and and really trying to push open worlds in a different way would you agree with that chris or or i mean what what was it about days gone that made you love it i guess is a good question um i really like the motorcycle i liked deacon and his story um but really it was the hordes and the zombie combat that was just so much fun it's and like I feel just, like the hordes are away too, right? Because you you have to stumble across them. Like <clears throat> the game will kind of yeah. tell you where they are, but it's yet another invitation to explore the world. Let's go right. see if you can find where this horde the hordes at. Honestly, ironically, in the hardcore modes which I've played, um, you can't fast travel at all. So they kind of almost de incentivizes exploring the world. Really? That's yeah, because you, you can't fast travel, and I, you do use more gas not fast traveling. Or, yes. So you end up, I, at least for me, I ended up trying to go like 20 miles away and then running out of gas. And then it's hardcore and it's so hard that I had a lot of trouble finding more gas. But yeah, great game. Wonderful yeah. overall. So I'll keep playing it. Yes, Saul. Now that you've downloaded it, you must play it. I'm literally fighting myself because I downloaded Cyberpunk or installed it and then downloaded the PS5 version. And I've yeah. yet to start it. Because <laughs> I'm sitting here looking much like Chris talked about with The Witcher, where he didn't know what to play and The Witcher was installed. I was looking at Cyberpunk. I was like, I could play Cyberpunk, or I have Days Gone installed, and I could just replay Days Gone. And I'm, you know, replay I'm, I'm torn gone. between replaying games, which is a weird place to be in 2022 on a PS5. But part of me wants to replay God of War because, and I have that installed. Part of me wants to replay Days Gone, and part of me wants to replay Cyberpunk, and that's a testament to all three of those games that I want to replay them. But it's also interesting that I can't seem to land on one. Days gone. So, maybe. Just maybe. Get all the DLC trophies. Sony, if I play the, the Days DLC? Gone again, will you please make a sequel? Kind of. It has challenges. It's free yeah. DLC, but it's like challenges. It's free LC. Free LC. 
it's true DLC. It's just literally downloadable content. You don't have to pay for it or anything. <laughs> Interesting. But uh, so, Saul, is that all you played? Yeah, that's all I played this week. Well, I have an interesting one uh, for me personally. I've played my Switch for more time in the in the past four days than I've played my Switch in the last year um, total. So that's that's a good sign. Um, I finally, I had, one of our friends let me borrow Pokemon Legends Arceus, which was a game I was real hit or miss on. It looked interesting, but it also looked like something that could have easily missed what it was aiming for. And I, I didn't trust it enough to spend $60 on it myself. So after he played it and he loved it, which he also loved Sword and Shield, games that I'm glad other people liked but weren't for me, uh, he let me borrow it and I started it. And I think most of the things that I... are Most of what I've wanted for Pokemon is to take a step forward in some way and not just keep retreading the same ground. And I know for some people, Chris being a good example, they're okay with Pokemon just coming out with a new game with the exact same basic design philosophy that was mastered or whatever you want to call it at, at Emerald. But I personally want a reason to play something new. If you're going to make a new Pokemon, I want you to show me a reason why it's something new. And that's why I always liked um, Oros coming back with like new features. Like, hey, we're going to let you sneak and fly around on Latios and Latias. And I thought that was a cool feature that brought something new to an experience that you were familiar with. And that's what I want Pokemon to be. It can be familiar, but I want it to push some ground in a way that feels like it's taking a step forward. And Legends Arceus definitely does that. It pushes a lot. It tries a lot of ideas. I think some of the ideas are starting to kind of, now that I've been playing for a good 15, 10 hours, whatever it be, um, are starting to become a little less lustrous. Like they're not, the shine's not there, but they're still fun and they still work. And uh, I continue to contend as I was discussing with Chris that my hope for Scarlet and Violet, which the most recent trailers actually made me excited for, uh, which was a good feeling is that now that I've played Arceus, which is those trailers are what led me to play Arceus, that some of these ideas from Arceus are refined and put into Scarlet and Violet. But yeah, that's where, that's where I'm at. I hope that uh, Scarlet and Violet can take some of these ideas from Arceus and, iterate on them in ways where they're a little bit better and just bring more to the table. I think my, and then we can move on. My, my thing I like about RCS is that I feel like it actually puts Pokemon at the center of the game in a way that the game series has never really done outside of maybe the first Pokemon one Snap. when they felt like they Pokemon snaps a pretty good example, actually. Uh, but you know, all these games are always telling you about how your goal is to complete the Pokedex and learn more about Pokemon. But the reality that is that it becomes beat all the gym leaders and become the champion. That always ends up being the goal. I kind of like that while there's a story here, there's sub goals. So it's like you literally can't get to a new area without having a certain star rating, which means you have to interact with these Pokemon and catching them doesn't complete their Pokedex. You have to catch multiple look at the differences between those multiple ones, fight them, see them in action, understand how they work, and then you eventually complete the Pokédex thing after you've had a number of brush-ins with them. I think that that feels like I'm discovering Pokémon that I'm already well familiar with in a very different way than the series has normally done. And I love that. And I actually really like seeing the Pokémon just out and about. I wish you could see them in a way that didn't feel like gamified as much as it is, but... I still like the idea of rolling around and being like, oh shit, there's a Scyther. It's just cool. 
And then yeah. kind of looking like, oh, the, the environment feels like it fits the Pokemon. When you didn't have to worry about that before, you can kind of put any Pokemon anywhere because it's like you just t- go through a tuft of grass and uh, you go to a different screen and it's fine. So I like a lot of the ideas and I hope that they continue to go on and we'll see if I end up liking it. But it feels good to be playing the Switch because it's like I spent the money on it. It's nice to have something that pulls me to want to play it. Um, yeah. But we are going to get into, uh, I'm going to be dead honest with you. I went on vacation for my birthday and I have 100%. I was out of town yesterday when the community stakes should have gone up. I 100% forgot about it till just now. So hey, that fine. one's on Life me happens. entirely. Whatever the community stake was, I genuinely don't remember. Had a very long weekend. It's very hot. Um, what was the, yeah, I don't remember either. State of play. Oh, yeah. Well, how did you feel about the state of play and if it set expectations? And honestly, someone may have answered. uh, And you know what? Real quick, I'll I'll check the community stake. I don't think anyone has. Uh, Definitely doesn't look like it. So with that being said, sorry, guys. uh, But I hope you understand. It was a big birthday weekend for me, and my daughter's birthday was not long ago. So we did a kind of combined thing and had a good time. But... With that being out of the way, we're going to go ahead and hop into the news. Um, And of course, PlayStation kind of had their week last week uh, for that episode. And then now this week comes all the rest of the Summer Games Fest stuff, including the Xbox showcase that was there. So we're going to kind of talk about everything. But before we completely hop into the news, remember that if you like the show and you like what you're hearing, take a second if you can. If If you're on a platform that allows you to rate the show, Rate it with your honest opinion. Give us a review. Be honest. Let people know if you think the show is worth your time. Let us know what you do and don't like about the show so that we can look at that, take that information in and see how we want to use it. Um, and share the show with a friend. If you feel like this is something that someone else in your life would enjoy or at least something as simple as sharing the link on Facebook, any social media to anybody that you think, even if it's just throw it out there and let anybody who wants to click on it do so. We'd love to get more people in talking with us. So many people come in new all the time anyway, and we appreciate you guys who do and who communicate with us. And we just like to deepen that. We do this because we have guys like you, people like you that continue to listen to the show. We're very appreciative. Um, So if you want to follow us on social media, if you're new to the show, welcome. We appreciate you giving us your time so far. Head over to Twitter at triangle SQRD. You can find us there. We are on Facebook in a group called triangle square to PlayStation podcast. Ask to be entered into that. We'll gladly let you in. Uh, And then last, but certainly not least, you can find us on discord where we all kind of exist. I've not been on much because of the (laughs) the little mini vacation, but you can find us on discord. Talk to us on a more, you know, more daily or semi-daily basis. Um, that link is in the description below. And we have chat sections for general chat where you can talk about music, movies, what yogurt you like, <laughs> uh, what kind of Skittles you like, uh, as we talked about last week, as well as the actual podcast open discussion where you can talk <laughs> about any of the things that we do. There goes Saul's bag of Skittles. Oh, taste the rainbow of Skittles podcast. Yeah. What do you think? We're back. Yeah, let's do this. <laughs> uh, but no, Skittles gummies. we'd love to have you uh, in the community in whichever way you see fit. But for those of you who just listen, we also appreciate it. But moving on to the news, uh, first thing that comes up Excuse in me. the news is in relation to Resident Evil 2. As I mentioned a while back, Resident Evil 2 Remake, 3 Remake, and 7 had some next-gen upgrades uh, that were promised from Capcom, and they shadow-dropped during Capcom's recent digital showcase that was part of Summer Games Fest. Uh, The upgrades are free of charge to those who own the games already, except 
for those of you who own it through PS Plus Collection, you do not get the update or the upgrade for that, unfortunately. Uh, and they include separate trophy lists, as Chris mentioned, that auto-pop when you import your save for those platinum-hungry amongst our listeners. So if you're ravenous for your new platinum, there's three waiting for you if you've already had those three. Mm-hmm. Chris, do you feel like there's that hollow feeling within yes. you? I'm really curious as someone who loves them. Yes. The few times I have gotten those, it feels dirty. I, it feels like I got a platinum, it, but I, did I really do anything for it? It was one of those things where like, I was kind of hyped to have to play, quote unquote, have to uh, play Resident Evil 2 again. And then um, the Resident Evil 3 one auto-popped, and I just immediately deleted it. And I was like, oh, well. That's what, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I get it. That's what happens. Like, you know, I did it with Spider-Man, mm-hmm. going back to that, ironically. I did it with Spider-Man remastered, and I ended up not playing it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I did just to see how it felt in comparison, but that's like, I did the opening mission. I got to where you're dealing with old big boy, and I was like, yeah, I've, I've played enough. I'm done. Um, so at that sense, it's like, would it have been more worth it for me to just play the game and Platinum it again? And I'm going to be honest, I don't think it, it would have been nice to have played the game again, but for getting the Platinum again, I don't think I would have liked it because I don't want to redo all of the crimes, busy work yeah. that really isn't very engaging. So in a way, I'm glad that I did that because I get another Platinum, but it's, I didn't earn anything, you know. It's not as ex- I was about to say. It's like it's like getting a paycheck without going to work, but that's actually amazing. <laughs> so, not a good comparison. Yeah, I would okay love to get that. a paycheck without going to work. So, uh, but there goes that. Um, so, if you've been waiting to play two, three, or seven, or just want to revisit them again in the higher frame rate uh, and higher resolution, go hop in on it. Uh, one of the big benefits as well for PS5 people is that. The DualSense is completely supported. So there are things like, of course, the updated haptics as well as trigger support so that you can get that trigger sensitivity where it fights back against you, which I love. I think in a game like this where it can get really tense, having that feeling of like having to pull the trigger really amps up the experience in a way that the flaccid, that's the word I'm going to choose, the flaccid triggers of the PS4 didn't quite hit. So we'll see. Uh, Resident Evil 4 remake was shown again during that same showcase with mostly the same trailer as the previous one shown in the state of play, but a few new shots and some gameplay, not much, but a little bit, with a little snippet seeming to show that the remake intends to disappoint Chris and do away (laughs) with the limitation of not being able to move while aiming and instead treats it like they did for Resident Evil 2 and 3's remakes where... You are allowed to move, but your aiming and shooting become more erratic and less accurate than compared to when you're standing still. So there's benefits for standing still, but you still have the tactical ability to move if you see the need to do so. Uh, Chris, here's the hoping that for people like you <laughs> who love the original obtuse and weird Resident Evil 4... Alternate control schemes, baby. ...can just turn on alternate controls. Let's do it. Give me the real Resident Evil 4. Forget you're moving while shooting. Chris... Shit. Yeah. You may not remember, and I can't even think of it. I haven't played that game in a while. So that's why I think I would remember it if it was that way, but maybe not because of memories of Resident Evil 4. I feel like Resident Evil 4 VR lets you move and shoot. I don't remember. 
I want to say you're I'm right. I'm not but... 99% sure that it does. And yet I did not hear you complain. Now, to be fair, that also makes the game first person and you have to manually reload. So it's not like it's a comparable experience. Yeah. You're in right. the game, like you said, it's significantly harder in VR. Oh, yeah. Much harder. In <laughs> Sign- VR. Significantly harder. It's crazy. But it's really cool. I like that. The only thing I didn't like about the VR is that whenever you do the kick moves, that it chose to pull the camera out third person and then pull it back in. Yeah. It just felt like a disconnect. It definitely is. Is what it is. Uh, capping off Resident Evil news, Resident Evil 8 DLC titled Shadows of Rose is scheduled to launch this October, just in time for the spooky celebrations on October 28th. So there goes that. If you've been waiting like I have, you can just also wait to play all that in VR, I assume. Um, next up, though, the revised PS Plus, uh, Plus launched. Or actually, I'm sorry, Chris. Do you have something you would like to say? I see that you marked that you did about Resident Evil 8's DLC. Uh, other than that, it looks really good. Um, no, because I don't want to spoil it, even though the trailer does. <laughs> I was about to say that I did not watch the trailer because before I got to it, somebody said, wow, this is really spoiling the game. Yeah, it spoils the entire ending. So That's I Resident will Light? not say anything. Yeah, Resident Evil 8. Ooh. What a weird call. <clears throat> well, I mean... I kind of get it, though, because like at some point, are you just not going to make DLC that you want to make and tell a story you want to tell just because to promote it, you have to run the risk of spoiling it for others? I mean, I get that it's a rough thing to do, it's but been over a the year. only other alternative is to not promote the game at all, like not promote the DLC at all, which seems like it's probably not going to happen. Like, is that or to, not to make DLCs that involve the end of the game? One of the two. That's true, but if you really have a story that involves the end of the game that you want to tell, I don't think you shouldn't. Oh, I agree. It. Like, so, I'm totally fine unfortunately. with the DLC. I'm just not going to talk about it because I realized how much of a spoiler it was. I appreciate that. That's very nice. Uh, all right. Uh, moving along. The revised PS Plus launched in North American territories this past weekend and confirmed that the PS1 classics for the territory are the commonly preferred NTSC versions of the game. A neat tip for those who are eyeing a game, any game, but waiting to try it risk-free, PS5 will update you when a game on your wish list has joined PS Plus's extra or premium tier titles. Uh, So that means that you just, yeah, that's a great feature. I actually, you know, we talked about wish lists, and thankfully, PS5 has really done a good job with wish lists. I've gotten multiple notices from PlayStation that, hey, a game that you have in your wish list is on sale. And part of me wants to say it's about damn time, (laughs) but part of me also wants to appreciate that they. They put in a feature that's useful. So having the app on your phone has its benefits. It does. I was able to pull that off. <laughs> anyway, next thing up, uh, Summer Game Fest brought with it the reveal and prior leak, <laughs> essentially, of The Last of Us Part 1. The long-rumored remake of the original The Last of Us from the ground up for PS5. The game looks to be using the engine from The Last of Us 2 likely to play more similarly to The Last of Us 2 as well, which I think is the right call uh, because The Last of Us Part 2 is one of the best third-person shooters I think I've ever played. And releases on September 2nd as a full-priced $69.99 title. And here we are. First thing of note, 
renaming it The Last of Us Part 1 is probably a clever move for marketing when you titled the second one Part 2. It means there's going to be a Part 3. And graphically, the game looks great because The Last of Us 2 looked great. And here comes the big argument that we've been having amongst our own friend group. It's not really an argument, but it's a talk about severity. Saul, I think a little more so than me, feels like the step up in quality is not that drastic. Let me let me know if you feel like I'm misrepresenting you, Saul. I'll take this opportunity. Uh, but to the sense of that, I feel like I agree in the sense that while watching it, I was like, oh, that looks good. But at the same time, I was thinking like, man, it's surprising how much this just looks like how I remember The Last of Us looking to begin with. And then going and even back and looking at The Last of Us Remastered, I'm like, man, The Last of Us Remastered still looks great for a PS3 game. That's that's my thing. Is that The Last of Us, I don't think that the glow up alone is worth a price point of a brand new, never before played game for me. Yeah. Well, like Saul, you bought Demon Souls, right? Yes. And, and Chris, I'll, I'll get I'll, I'll let you go in a second, but this is like something that's on my mind. Uh, one of the one of the comparison points that Saul and I talked about when we first looked at this is that it looks great again, but the price point coming in at sixty nine ninety nine and being just a story with no factions, at least as far as I can tell, and being seventy feels really weird to us. When the comparison point for the price, none surprisingly, is Demon Souls remake, a PS3 game as well, a little bit older, uh, and that got given the same treatment. But where I think that the disconnect lies is that Demon Souls was a game that wasn't exclusive, yes, but it did not have the production quality of a game like The Last of Us on PS3, nor did it get remastered for the PS4. And so there's a feeling that whenever I remember seeing Demon Souls remake and feeling like holy crap the difference is stark and it's a game that's been hard to play and is not easy to play and they've shut down service for so there feels like there's more value for me as an individual in that $70 purchase than a $70 purchase of a story linear game that is easily playable on PS4 in 60 frames per second at like 1440p resolution with the multiplayer in it that you can buy right now for $20. And now I'm not for me and this, I'm not arguing that it shouldn't be $70. I'm more arguing that $70 is a really hard price point for me as someone who's already played it though. I don't know that I'm the market. That's the big question, right? Chris, you had something you wanted to say before we start shifting the conversation around. So what was your, uh, Oh, I think you guys are, Ignoring the single biggest part of this whole thing is that they're mm-hmm. making it play like The Last of Us 2, which is, for all I have to say about that game, the best gameplay of any game of last generation. Yeah, and I agree. So they're taking and, and, the I best. Mean, I mean, I did take time to note that. Just to throw that out there. Yeah, but I think the main crux of the conversation with even here or in when everyone's talking about it is just oh sure. the, the graphics, the graphics, the graphics, and that to me is like it could have lo- it could look like the PS3 game, but the fact that it plays like The Last of Us Two is worth sixty dollars or seventy dollars to me. 
I'll tell you this, though, too. I think some of that apprehension comes from the fact that we've not seen the game in action, and we're all assuming that the game plays like The Last they of Us 2. They said it, too. did they not? We don't actually... I'm fairly positive. Not that it. I saw. I'll look it up while you now, guys show. I'll, I'll argue this. I did not watch the entire Neil Druckmann conversation because I got bored. <laughs> and I was having to work while I was uh, watching the... Or actually, I wasn't the work. It was my daughter's birthday when the State of Play came out. So to that end... I did not watch the entire thing. They may have said that it plays like The Last of Us 2, which I hope is the case. Uh, but Saul, I think, speaking for you, I don't think, that, as much as I love The Last of Us 2 and think it plays amazingly, I wasn't one of those people that thought The Last of Us 2 played like trash, like some people like to argue. I haven't played The Last of Us 2. Oh, The Last of Us 1. I'm sorry. The la- I didn't think that The Last of Us 1, a lot of people argue that The Last of Us 1 was a great story, but played terribly. I don't know. Yeah, And I, I think The Last of Us 1 plays fine. I think it's a... I, I like the way it plays. Yeah, Last I of Us I think The Last has, of Us 2 is infinitely better, but... It has clear gameplay flaws, like Ellie's AI. But yeah, in terms of, like, a complete package of a video game, story, gameplay, game mechanics that keep you engaged, The Last of Us 2 is literally the, the, a very complete package. The um, Last of Us 1. Wait, what... What happened? You said The Last of Us 2. Oh, my bad. The Last of Us, yeah. The Last of Us 1, yeah. So, you know... Oh, go ahead. Saul, I think you might agree with this. I think my argument against people who say that The Last of Us was only popular because of its story really discount how popular factions got. And if you're telling me that The Last of Us 1 has bad gameplay and yet factions blew up, which is completely free of story then there's a huge disconnect. The game clearly has to be favorable from a gameplay standpoint for millions of people to have bothered with factions. Yeah. And uh, factions is incredibly fun. Some of the most fun multiplayer I've had the entire time of the PS3 generation. Absolutely. Which I played a lot of multiplayer on. So that's my argument towards The Last of Us 1 still having great gameplay, even if The Last of Us 2's gameplay is better in every facet. Um, So that's the real question at hand. But... While Chris is looking at that, I think the other side of the conversation is that I don't really... A lot of people like to look at this from the from their own lens, right? The myopic lens of your own self-view. And looking at this and saying like, the way that I view this is that $70 is too much to me and this is not for me and this doesn't make sense. And why would you price it this way? But I think the real thing here is if you take a step back and look, I'm pretty sure that the real market for this is the people who have not played The Last of Us or even heard of The Last of Us who end up catching a show called The Last of Us on HBO and go, wow, that looked cool. And all I've ever been playing here on my PS5 is Call of Duty Warzone. But this show is really good. There's a game? Oh, man, I can play the first one, remade. Look at look how great this looks. And I think that there's because if you notice they're not they, they never include the word remake either. They want these people to kind of come in and be like, "Oh, here's The Last of Us Part One. I can just jump in and play that right now." And the seventy dollars isn't weird to someone who doesn't know and wasn't a previous customer. Like I think the real market for this game is people who've never played it, and then the extra market is the people who have played it and loved it and are willing to spend seventy dollars to play it again. You get what I mean? Yeah. So, so gameplay aside, I still think it's there. But go ahead, Saul. I was just gonna say, like, I think, you know, for me personally, 
this is what I told you the other day. When we're talking about it. Is that I played? I paid sixty dollars for Last of Us One. I paid fifty dollars for the remake or remaster. Right? What was it? Fifty or forty? It was sixty, unless you had uh, proof of purchase in certain ways. Certain places would be if you could show that you own the Last of Us One, or if you bought it digitally, like the Last of Us on PS3, and then you are on PS4, it would upgrade you for forty. Okay, yeah, I definitely remaster. didn't have that, so it was sixty. So I spent one hundred twenty dollars on the story so far. Um, mm-hmm. and people go back to like episode two of like Triangle Squared or episode three, where like I go to tell you that. The Last of Us One is one of my favorite PlayStation games of all time, and seventy dollars to me is just a hard sell for for somebody who's played this game as many times as I have. Uh, and I love the game. I used to play it every fall as like a tradition. I and it's coincidentally enough, this game comes out almost in fall, so I thought that was a little interesting. September, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I used to play this game like every, like when it got like fall weather outside, I've said this before on the podcast, like orangey, you know, trees and cool breeze. That's when, that's when I played The Last of Us. And it's weird. It's, you know, I've had, I've had The Last of Us 2 purchased for a while now, like at least six months um, on my console. And it's never been deleted. Um, it's just been there. And I think that this will be the great point to replay this in this new engine and then seamlessly go into part two. I think that's going to yeah, be so just how I'm going to do it. For clarification here, it's, it's, it's interesting. So I, could, I remember you saying that to me as well. So it's like even though $70 is a hard sell, sounds like you're going to do it. No. Right? No. I want to. You're going to wait until it's marked down? Yes. I'm going to wait until it's 50 which, it, judging fair. by video games nowadays, that's going to be like in three. That's three weeks from like launch most of the time. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, it depends on. It depends on a lot of things, and it depends on when the show comes to. Uh, because you know, I think looking at the fact that we, we Spider Man games from Activision didn't really need, they sold incredibly well, despite not always being that great. Right. And that's because people who know Spider-Man from other media, like, Oh sweet, there's a game. I want to buy it and play it. And so that cross media promotion where you see it in one medium and you want to go experience it in this other one uh, does have some drive. I mean, there's a reason that Marvel wants to make well-made console quality games because people are hyped on the MCU and if they can carry that MCU hype over and get those same people to buy games that they've licensed out with other people that are really high quality then they can make even more money so that, I think that's what the market that Sony's going for here and I think my argument would be if anyone ever asked me who had never played The Last of Us at all if anybody ever asked me hey is The Last of Us Part 1 worth getting day one absolutely yeah, I just don't want to pay seventy dollars for it. I'm going to because it's it's. I talked to Chris about this. It's kind of a weird disconnect. The way that I value a game's price and whether I would buy it or not has changed so much since I just used my reward points because my money's not really on the line. It's just value that I could have used elsewhere. Like Saul, you talked about like your reward points are a little more versatile. Um, 
and that you can use them pretty much everywhere and anywhere. And they more or less have the same value no matter how you choose to use them. I tend to use mine for gaming because I have the PlayStation card. And so I get Sony rewards and the Sony rewards dollars. I can use my points to just get rid of any purchase, but the transit, the, the amount of money versus the amount of points are different. It's more beneficial for my points to be used toward gaming things because there's a better dollar ratio, essentially a thousand points of reward points is $10. Yeah. And so 7,000 points for a $70 game is reasonable. And I, and I do it all the time and I don't really think of it cause it's not money. I'm could use elsewhere. It's really just points that I can use that I'm already getting for just having the card and owning it. So in a weird way, it's kind of like the games are free. And how can I argue that a $70 game that I essentially got for free is too much. I can't right. because I'm not actually spending my 70, but if I had to spend my own 70, it would be a tougher pill to swallow. And it's just hard to really think about whether I would or wouldn't had I not had the opportunity to get for free. Uh, Chris, did you ever find out if it plays like the last of us Two? It just did says new confirm? mechanics and gameplay improvements. Like modernized game. I would agree with you that new mechanics and modernized <clears throat> gameplay sounds like plays like the last of us. Yeah. Too. So I'll give you, I'll give I'll you. And it. don't wrong. I've assumed that it would. Mm-hmm. And I hope it does. What if it plays like the last of us too, but they add even more mechanics into it that are even better. <laughs> that would be crazy. That'd be weird. I don't like it when games do that. Actually, they should add a new man. Well, you play part of why I mean this, and it's not entirely fair because technically the last of us two has this opportunity, but Joel is a completely different character from Ellie in pretty much every sense of the way. So there's mechanics that could make more sense for you to give Joel than, you know, the last of us two people. So to that degree, I could see them playing around with some ideas that might be really fun when you have somebody who's more like Joel. I think the big thing is going to be how Ellie helps in combat because in The Last of Us 2, people being around you aren't a hindrance. Like, they don't... The AI is not so dumb. Like, they actually hide and cover and don't give themselves away in the way that Ellie did on PS3 with the limitations of AI at the time. So, (laughs) we'll see what happens. Um... But right, any any more thoughts on the Last of Us two before or the Last of Us remake rather before we move on? No, I'm no. Not. Like if I, uh, you know, we we're talking about credit card stuff, and I was like, I'm thinking like I could probably, I say probably, I definitely can swing it with credit card reward points, and I would be curious, you know, if if that's what I'll do because I I could get a day one and do that, um, but. I don't know. I don't know. It just depends. It depends on like what comes around out around September, because right now yeah, we'll I don't see. think right now anything. I think sep- not. So I, it's honestly a great time with the current release schedule to yeah. get people who even who might have been like seventy dollars feels too steep, but there's nothing else to play. So I'll pay twenty over what our ten or twenty over what I would have been comfortable with. My biggest shame is that it doesn't come with factions. At least just, but I get it. You would have you would have had to remake factions, <laughs> sadly. But it's just because I want factions. Uh, you know, one thing that we didn't talk about here is that they did actually tease. They didn't give it a name, but they teased the follow-up to factions uh, and that it will have some element of story to it. They haven't confirmed how. They haven't confirmed if you're going to play as the characters that they showed in the art or if they're just going to be characters that are in the online world while you still play as your own character. All that remains to be seen. Um, 
But Saul, what are your thoughts on that? Because I know you were down there with me when we were talking about it and looking at it. Yeah, I, multiplayer storylines are real weird. Um, sometimes they have a disconnect like Destiny, like where it's like you're the chosen one, but there's thousands of you. Um, <laughs> yeah. Sometimes they work out really well. Um, I still kind of go towards Escape from Tarkov, right? Like this is a good way to do that. They need a group yeah, of people who are working together. It's going to be a real big miss, I think, if they do a battle royale game. Um, they could do a lot better than that with I the talent that they have. I don't think they are doing a battle royale. I, I think I, they, yeah, I hope they not. know not to. That that's already just too crowded of a market, and enough people have failed. And I just don't think they need to when there's other avenues that could still give them a good live service. But Chris, I think you're a bit more of the live service guru here. So <laughs> from what they kind of talked about and teased, what are you anticipating? Um, kind of some, kind of something along the lines of like Tarkov, and I wouldn't be surprised if it had a battle royale mode, which I think would be totally. Yeah, I fun. can see that as well. But I don't think they'll make a strictly battle royale game. No, I don't think so. I just don't think they want to compete with Warzone or Fortnite or Apex yeah. when they don't really need. It'd be a weird to. move. It would be. I, I'm curious to see what it is. There was like that pseudo storyline in The Last of Us Factions, if you remember, Saul, where you chose a team and then you worked towards your team. And as more of your people won, it would create, like, again, very surface level story. But who got who got survival you know, stuff and who didn't get um, some of the rations and stuff they needed and how much outbreak happened within your group and versus the other group? You know, you remember that? Yeah. So I don't mind the idea. It just it's a curiosity because I think you can tell cool stories online and with a multiplayer setup. But I don't think that they need to be overly involved. I think that they just need to be more like here's the goal and the narrative that's throwing you in here, and it's something that's cool to grab on Astra. But the main ploy of the game's pull towards you is the gameplay strictly. Uh, so we'll see how that ends up going. But. Apparently, I need to play Tarkov. That's what I'm thinking. Like, I, I hear people talk about it, and I've seen someone play it a little bit. I was actually thinking, but I don't about fully understand that. the game. It's fun. It's like yeah. the. It's like yeah. It's like the Dark Zone from Division. You 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 like you yeah. go into this area, and like your first time ever going, you'll have like a pistol, and you have to run around and loot this area that is full of other players, and you once you get all your stuff, you can then leave the area, but via a helicopter, via an extraction zone. But then the fun doesn't stop there because the stuff that you're looting uh, has like a black market you could sell stuff on and get upgrades and like weapons and stuff like that. But then, like let's say you get this cool like submachine gun you love using and you go into a game and you get killed, it's gone forever. The, the other player is going to take it from you. So it yeah. has like this real kind of choice versus consequence kind of gameplay. Uh, I actually was thinking about redownloading it on PC just this weekend. Uh, this last weekend, I was okay. like, I kind of want to redownload that. It's really so, intensive to run. Like, is there like any base building aspects of it? Because no. I could see nope. if there's not, I could see taking the best of that gameplay and mixing it with the idea of. I, I don't know exactly how how I want to say this because I don't know that I want it to be that you have to build the fortress or anything like, or anything like that or build your protection. But I kind of like the idea of, of having it to where you're setting up a base of operations that if you can continue to do better than your enemies, you continue to push that base of operations to where you have a bigger foothold in the territory, but in a way that's dynamic. That's almost and like rest. 
And see, that that's all I'm about to say. Rust is what I've seen that sounds like that. And if you take some of the ideas from Rust and some of the ideas from Tarkov and kind of push them together, I think that could be really interesting um, in the setup of what makes The Last of Us work. Because factions clearly worked really well, and you don't have to have zombies or anything like that. Uh, but if you're going to evolve factions, I'd be curious to see how they do it. I mean, if it, if it ends up just being The Last of Us-inspired Rust, I'm cool with that. Well, honestly, too, Personally. Tarkov has this cool thing that has, like, there's NPCs in that game. There are NPCs in that world with Oh, you. yeah. That like can hunt you yeah. down and stuff too. That's cool. Yeah, that's that's cool. Maybe that's what they'll do too. Here is that there's factions. You know, literally a faction, and some of the characters they talked about announcing are with each faction, and whichever one you side with, you see their how their stuff plays out, so that you kind of get that division level storytelling, but not going too in depth, but more just keeping it where it's like, here's your motivations, here's the world setup as to why you're here and why you're doing this. But then the majority of the game is just the goal is to survive. Because that's what made factions fun, is just feeling like, I gotta go get to that dude before he's down, because we need him. We need as many survivors as we can to yeah. get the upper hand on the opposing the opponent teams. So, we'll see. I'll be curious if it's mainly just two factions or if they're if they break break it up to where there's more i think two is probably more than enough but it depends on the scale of the game so we'll see what ends up happening you get to make your own group basically your own little team and i mean (laughs) they can have clan base like i don't hate that that. yeah i don't hate that idea so we'll, we'll see what ends up coming from it. Moving along, though, Fire Sprite, the studio recently purchased by Sony and working on titles such as Horizon Call of the Mountain, recently showed at the State of Play for VR, and rumored to be the new dev behind Twisted Metal's comeback, are expanding and seemingly being moved to a new office that is roughly 25 times the size of their current workplace. So for reference, um, their current place is around 2,000. Uh, square feet or whatever it be. It's, it's not square foot, actually, because it's UK. <laughs> and it's going up to 50,000. Uh, it appears that they're taking the whole building over, which could mean that Sony intends to rapidly and clearly massively expand the studio. Uh, but I'd be curious to see that. I mean, clearly they brought fire. They bought Fire Sprite to have studios do lower-level projects that they can get out a little quicker. And I think things like Stray hitting uh, PS Plus day one with that premium and extra tier is showing that Sony's willing to put smaller games out like that. So I'd be willing to bet that this uh, twisted metal game is going to be a PS plus day one game, but that's kind of where this is right now. I like that Sony's doing this and giving more money to these studios, but am I wrong in feeling like I remember that not long ago, there's been talk about how the industry kind of has a shortage of workers. Like there's, Essentially, more positions than there are people who are being who are filling them. It kind of reminds me, Chris, of your industry in the sense that I feel like every food place is like we're we're hiring, we're hiring, and then every time I get on Facebook or any kind of social media, it's people being like, "Bro, I need a job," and yet. For some reason, there's all these people that need to work and all of these positions open at food service, and yet these two things aren't coming together for whatever Mm. reason. Probably because food services sucks, maybe. I don't know. That's probably part of it. I genuinely don't know. Um, I think it's a lot of the people who want to work probably aren't doing food service, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. Probably. It's one of the things that we... Just because they want to work doesn't mean they want to settle for food service? All right. Screw you, too. (laughs) 
No, I'm, 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 I know, I'm just, just joking. Like, is you're that, right. Is that what you're exactly? Saying? Well, yeah. I'm, but I'm yeah. also saying there's a bunch of people like in tech who are probably looking for jobs, but the people who are in you know in the food service industry are willing to hold out for more money because maybe they're still on unemployment or they're still have some kind of nest egg held up. You know. Yeah, I don't know because you know I, I don't. I don't, I don't even know how to come across this thing, but clearly, and I think you'd agree, you're in food service, so your opinion would be more strong than mine. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that the, um, I think the way to look at it is that food service has a much lower barrier of entry than development because it's a more specialized thing that you most developers have to go to some form of college or they have to spend years and you can still call it development. I'm not taking away from what they do, but the um, like testers and whatnot who eventually sometimes end up moving into programming positions from what they learn from being testers. Um, and so sometimes that's the way I look at it. It's like since one is more gate kept by needing an education to a specific degree, whereas food service, you don't have to do that because it's either hospitality. Some, if you're a server or if you're a cook, you can teach someone to cook what they're cooking for you anyway, you know, for most of these jobs, it's not like you're a high end, you know, your chef has to make every meal and make sure that it's <laughs> his exact, you know? Correct. So the difference being is that the, the workforce uh, is just kind of different by means of, how accessible the industry is for what it is. I agree. So I don't know. Maybe there are enough in, enough uh, developers to do this. And maybe there's strictly, there's enough UK developers and they're really trying to look to expand in the UK and this is a way to do it. Choose a studio that can be a multi-team place like Sumo Digital would have been had they bought them. And just be like, we're going to staff out a handful of teams that we know we can afford at this budget and give each one of them, you get a $40 million game, you get a $40 million game, and just see what happens. I mean, I don't know. I'd be really surprised if this move was to make Fire Sprite a, a big AAA developer for them. I just don't think that that's their move. Yeah, I agree. Could be Multiple no. games. Um, we will definitely see. Uh, so next thing up. Uh, Todd Howard chomps at the bill oh, no. uh. <laughs> to pseudo announce another title too early, as he says in a recent IGN interview that Fallout 5 will be coming after the Elder Scrolls 6, which he confirms is still in pre production, which should be surprised to no one as the team is still working on Starfield. Um, pre production's weird. Some people are thinking that means that the Elder Scrolls 6 won't come for another five years, and while that's definitely a funny joke, <laughs> Uh, when a game moves from pre-production into full production, it can be as little as two years, um, depending on what needs to still be done. It's just uh, you're moving from some hands on deck to all hands on deck. That's essentially the difference. Pre-production is figuring out what the game is so that you don't waste a full team trying to figure out the mechanics and everything. And then full production is when you have everybody knowing what it is they're making and getting to work on those systems and iterating upon them. Um uh, so, Chris, as someone who loves Fallout yeah. as much as you do, how do you feel about learning that Fallout 5 will be coming out in 2032? <laughs> old. <laughs> Very old. I feel 40. I feel the 40 that I'll be by the oh, time. God, that's <laughs> that 10 years. Yeah, I'll be turning. This time in 2032, I will be ready to starting to turn 40. Hopefully with 200. Look, I definitely hope that's not the case. <laughs> 
But Bethesda's output has slowed considerably. Yeah. So I get why people are a little iffy on it. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on in general, what are your thoughts on The Elder Scrolls Six actually coming? Do you think it's going to be a longer project, or do you think once Starfield's gone, that since my thought here is that The Elder Scrolls is more of a known entity, and while you're definitely still going to want to try to do something new, you understand the world of Tamriel and how to work within it to where you can make something new work better whereas starfield is a new ip and you have to think about like starfield's development was long because you have to think about what starfield is yeah what makes starfield feel like starfield what separates it from other things uh which we can also talk about the fact starfield was shown but uh, that's okay no thanks we can talk about that eventually yeah we can talk about that eventually <laughs> but so what are your thoughts on both uh, Delta Troll 6 being in pre-production and Fallout 5 eventually being on the docket? I think that we know launch titles for the PS6 and the PS7. <laughs> or, sorry, Xbox Series X, X and the Xbox Series XXX. Like, I, I don't know. Now, they'll drop the series moniker by then. They'll have a new thing where it's like, now this is the Xbox, fuck yourself. Whatever it be. Clearly, I don't think that's it, but I just don't get why they haven't stuck to a, we'll name, get, a naming um, scheme. Xbox Diamond and Do you Pearl. remember when everyone was just... Oh, God. <laughs> Do you remember when everyone was so sure... 720. ...that the follow-up to the 360 was going to be the 720? It would have been a great name. We would have gotten the 1080. It would have been a great name. Or the 900. It would have been a great name. Yeah. Why not? I don't know why point? they didn't. You start at zero with it with the Xbox original... You make one full revolution, mm-hmm. and you say, "Look, we've revolutionized the game industry oh, to come to 360. That's pretty good. And then you revolutionize again to come to the 720. There's a clear marketing double there the processing. They botched power. it, and instead, double the graphics. Instead, they were like, "We're going to call it the Xbox One," which you know we've made before. <laughs> I like now it's the OG but Xbox. No. Um, but in terms of yeah. Uh, I don't know, man. I don't understand why he'd say this because I think it was inevitable that the next game after TES 6 was Fallout 5. Like, I feel like that was Fallout. just an obvious like, thing to say. Who didn't know that? Right. So, like, why did you yeah. say it? But I do think there's a, there's <laughs> well, an argument we could make at this point that they're going to start ramping. They're going to have to start ramping up production because they're now a three IP studio where before they were a two IP studio. So if they want to keep these franchises in the zeitgeist, they're going to have to. That's assuming Starfield up. is successful. It's on Game Pass. It doesn't it'll be successful? Whether people finish the game is another story, but like, yeah, there is no there is no metric to whether measure or not success on like, Xbox anymore. That's not an insult. Whether or not true. people like No Man's Sky, yeah, but Bethesda. Well, hopefully they populate those planets. You know what's funny is uh, clearly I've seen more people say that now, and I'm not surprised. As you know, I was very busy that day. I didn't get to watch it until late in the day. Wasn't looking at any news. And the first thing that came to my mind from Starfield was, bro, this just looks like somebody modded No Man's Sky. Yeah. It's exactly what it looked like at the beginning. And I I actually still have yet to finish the whole thing. I saw where he comes outside of the space station and starts shooting up people. And, it, you know, the shooting looks okay. Me, Clearly it looks fine. better than No Man's Sky. I'll give him that. Um, but Either way, yeah, I, I agree with you in the sense that I don't think <laughs> this is going to sound weird, but you know, when you're in a relationship early days and y'all, neither one of you have said, have told each other that you love them yet. Mm-hmm. We're farting and in front of each other. E- yeah. Whatever it be. Right. But the love you analogy is really good because 
you can feel like you love them and feel like they probably love you too. But until it's said, the expectation isn't quite there. So that's how I'm going to look at Fallout. Did we all pretty much assume that Fallout 5 was coming after The Elder Scrolls 6? Yes. But the moment that you say that it's coming after, it's just like once you say I love you, all the expectations that come with that word or that phrase are suddenly mounted on top when even though it existed in your mind before, now you've said it and there's a different rule of expectations around that and how your relationship operates. So Todd Howard comes out and says, Fallout 5 is after The Elder Scrolls 6. Well, no, duh. But now I have expectations around the Fallout 5 and you're doing the same thing where I'm going to spend five to eight years building expectations for the Fallout 5 and there's no way Fallout 5 in the best form could meet the expectations I will have for it yep. after spending eight, five to eight years thinking about it. Well, the funny thing is like now people can, can start a YouTube channel and, a, and launch a career for the next 15 years just talking about where's Fallout 5 going to be set. The, this, the next 15 years of someone's content is just speculation about Fallout 5. And it, Possible. It'll just be 4chan leaks and all this stuff for the next eight years, and then none of it's going to be right, and it's just going to be super annoying and unnecessary. I don't know why they did it. I, I get it. Like They put their roadmap out there, and they're like, these are what's coming, but it just seems insane. Here, here, my argument, right? And I still think it's a different, but you remember how you talked about cyberpunk last uh, last week yeah. when we were talking about cyberpunk being shown because they needed the hire mm-hmm. to be able to bulk up to make that game uh, and probably to make The Witcher 3 while we're talking about it. Um, and the argument could be made that if the idea is that now they're a three IP studio, so they're going to have to bulk up, is them talking about Fallout 5 are they going to try and use this as a, hey, we're talking about Fallout 5 because we're starting hiring for the team that's going to be able to start working on Fallout 5 so that we can launch it two years after the Elder Scrolls 6 so that you have Fallout 5 in four years as opposed to six to eight. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I think we're. I don't think it. They don't need to do that, I would argue, but. Yeah, I don't you know. Because I, I think it's just one of these things of them just being like, yeah, this is what we're doing and enjoy knowing. But it's just why I didn't need to know. Yeah. I'm glad I know. Uh, well, like, Chris, cool. I know that. You- Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, well, I'll no, I'll let you finish all your thoughts, but I know that you need to take a quick break from the show whenever it is. So whenever that time comes, we'll move to Saul, and if he wants to say anything, and then we'll keep going. You on move news to Saul. I gotta back. go pick up my car before my family leaves. Sorry, It'll be like fair enough. Be like ten minutes or so. Enjoy the. You're show. cool, dude. No, no problem. I saw while we happened to be talking about fallout. Uh, I think if I remember right, you were kind of in the same vein as me in that you were slightly disappointed with fallout four, right? Um, well, I was disappointed with fallout four at launch. I've actually come to kind of like fallout four or I like really enjoy yeah. fallout four. I should say. Yeah, I should, for anybody who just may be newer, I don't hate fallout four. I just, for the first time in, a, in my history of playing Bethesda games, I beat Fallout 4 and immediately shut it off and never played it again because I had zero interest to do the side missions Yeah, because the world wasn't interesting to me. Uh, you know, one thing the Bethesda games have always done a good job of is, is introducing you to people that you're going to have to come back to later for the actual side quests that go with them, but they play a small part in the main story. 
Right. And all the ones I met in that game, and I knew that th- that went led to their own thing. I was like, this is not interesting at all. So it was really weird in that sense. Um, so I'm kind of in this weird sense of where I don't, I'm not even really that excited for Fallout Five. Uh, I'm 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 more excited for the Elder Scrolls Six. But after watching Starfield's gameplay and, and reveal, I don't know that I'm actually excited for the Elder Scrolls Six. <laughs> I was definitely, the saving grace for it for me is just that, like I said earlier, the Elder Scrolls is a known quantity for them, and so it's a little harder for them to just turn like to to lose the way on that. But it doesn't inspire a lot of hope when really the first potentially new, interesting, exciting thing for me since I didn't like Fallout Four. This is their chance to impress me for the first time in a big way since Skyrim. And I feel like they missed the mark for what I did see, which was about three to five minutes of the gameplay, whatever it was, probably three. Um, but go ahead. You were saying you saw it? Well, I was going to say, I like Fallout 4 from like a gunplay perspective. Uh, yeah. In terms of Play's like... kind of like Destiny, which is what they were saying they were going for. Yeah, it kind of felt like, you know, it, I really felt like a person in that kind of scenario. Um. And I, I, I like the roleplay aspect from like guns and gameplay. The story was not great. Um, not in the slightest. So I'm excited for Fallout 6 just to see what it is. But see, like I, I did not like Fallout 76. Not at all. So yeah. have, have you played it recently more out of curiosity no. than anything? And there's probably the nothing game, that that it, game... It's much... It's much better than it was, and you can solo it, and you can play it like pretty much your own Fallout game with survival mechanics in it, like very heavy survival mechanics. Okay. But I still don't think it really, personally, I don't think it's amazing. But considering I didn't love Fallout 4, I don't know that I'm target audience for it anyway. See, I just think it was a massive misstep anyways from, you know... I'm sure that they they had a plan there, kind of like with the original like Fallout you know, from Fallout 2 to Fallout 3. People, I'm sure people mm-hmm. called that a misstep going into like a first-person realm instead of the tactical-style RPG it was. But yeah, I really do feel like they, they kind of got real far away from Fallout with, with 76, um, at least at launch. I'm sure they fixed it now with adding NPCs and quests. That was still really a weird call. And I felt like that was only a thing because they tried to get away with it. I felt like... That was something that they, if if the community didn't have a problem with, they would have gotten away with it. But I can only feel that way. I can't for sure say that. It's impossible to know. Basically, that. you're saying if if people hadn't been vocal, yes, they probably would have tried keeping going with it. Yeah, I wonder if the game would have survived without it. Um, maybe not. Maybe it, maybe by now Fallout would be the next anthem, and they would just Fallout seventy six be done. Um, and they'd be talking about how Fallout 5 is going to be a return to form, um, which is not the wording that they're using right now. So I think clearly they view Fallout 76 as a long-term success, which I hope it is successful for them. I I don't want anyone to work on a game that's not successful just because it's years of your life going towards a product. Um, yeah. And, so to that end, but we'll see. I'm just still... I don't know why I'm worried about the Elder Scrolls Six because Skyrim is such a great game. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's that feeling of like Fallout missed for me, 
kind of looks like I went from being disappointed that Starfield was going to be exclusive just because I wouldn't be able to play it on PlayStation and get the platinum to now that I've seen it, it feels weird to kind of be like, I don't think I'm that disappointed that this is no longer exclusive, that this isn't good or that this is exclusive now. I don't think I care as much. I hope that they show more by the time the game releases that makes me want to really play it. But as I've told pretty much everybody I've talked to about it, it's going to be free on Game Pass for on PC for me. I'm going to try it just for the sake of me enjoying some Bethesda games. But I'm not going to jump into it excited to try it if I had to go off of the information I have right now. And that's a shame. Yeah. And that's something, you know, I don't know. It's weird with, with Fallout. They didn't lose my trust with 76, but they certainly swayed it into a way that I, doesn't make me super excited as I should be. Yeah, I feel. Uh, something that might excite you, Saul. Tactics Ogre Reborn, which appears to be a remake or remaster of Tactics Ogre Let Us Cling Together, looks to be another title leaked by the PlayStation Store as a page was posted, then swiftly removed alongside the listing for the nine ninety nine PSP game, Tactics Ogre, Let Us Cling Together, that was, up until today, still viable and playable on PS Vita, uh, which seems to be that there's a connection between those two. Uh, for anyone who doesn't know, Tactics Ogre, Let Us Cling Together was already a remake of the PS1 game called Tactics Ogre. Uh, the series is a lesser-known spiritual successor to Final Fantasy Tactics and made by the same team who made that. Uh, the creative head is also who made uh, Vagrant uh, story stuff like that i think he might have been involved in final fantasy 12 as well because ivalis is i think the world that he kind of started and those games take place in those in that world um so a remaster potentially of the psp game which was pretty beloved would be cool or a straight up remake could be coming along uh saul did you ever play tactics ogre i did for some reason i feel like you did yeah, yeah. they're really good and i really hope this comes to switch I wonder, actually, because I don't think Tactics Ogre has. There's been Tactics Ogre on, on Game Boy Advance. PlayStation. Was there? Pretty sure. That's what I'm trying to remember. About 99.9%. Let's find out. Let me see. Tactics Ogre GP, GBA. I was going to say, you ain't going to find it. Tactics Ogre, the night. Yeah, the night of Lotus. Yep. Or Lotus. So, yeah, it looks like there is a, at least a potential for it to come into it. Hmm. Yep, and for those, like, you know, as you said, like, with Final Fantasy Tactics, these are very much, like, spiritual successors to, or spiritual precessors to Tactics games. Because Tactics Ogre is older than uh, Tactics, isn't it? Uh, If I'm not mistaken, I think Tactics Ogre came after uh, Dang, this game came out in 2001 for the Game Boy Advance. Yeah, Tactics Ogre came out in 98. Um. And it was the same name. Let us cling together. Um, oh, it was a dang. It came out in '95 originally. What did for for Super Famicom uh, Tactics Ogre? I actually did not. You know learn that. something every day. Neither did I. And then it was ported to Sega Saturn and PlayStation in '98. So it was wow. So that was a that was a Nintendo franchise at first. It's funny if you go look at Tactics Ogre. It is literally. One of these characters is literally the model for, um, and I see him on the box art, but it's the model uh, for, um, oh, hold on, main character of Final Fantasy Tactics Advanced. 
What is his name? Oh, Tactics Advance A2 or whatever? No, no, just Tactics Advance. I don't remember that one. Is that the one that starts with a snowball fight? It does. It's a really good game. I don't remember the, the character of that one. I, mean, I don't remember the name, but I know what the game you're talking about. Yeah, ta- Final Fantasy Tactics, it was a 97. That's crazy. I didn't realize that. I thought uh, Tactics was 97 and then Tact- uh, Tactics Ogre was 98. Learn something new every day. Look at that. If you don't care about Japanese games, I'm sorry about this part of the show, but this is where we are. Learning something. Sort of ill. Uh, when I first saw this, I was like, maybe this means that this is a PSP game coming, but there's definitely a lot of great PSP games that could be added to the new PS Plus as a service. So here's the hope that that's what happens. Can't say for sure, though. I want to Google it. It's not um, that bad. All right, well, Saul, do you have any other thoughts on Tactics Ogre Reborn other than hoping that, I mean, where there's smoke, there's fire. There's clearly something going on. To what yeah. degree, we don't know. I mean, a remaster would be cool, but Marsh. maybe, what if it's not even a remake? What if it's a brand new game? That'd that be, would be cool, too. cool. That would be cool. I would. Name, I, am, I am. The all name for. Reborn definitely implies some kind of something being remastered or remade, but who knows? We'll see what ends up happening. I'm not going to bring it up here uh, on the podcast, but after the show, just mention that I mentioned this so I can tell you something off off camera. Okay. Pretty funny. I'll do that. <laughs> okay. Uh, next thing up, PlayStation's Gran Turismo movie has a clearer picture and release date in mind as it is revealed to be speeding the theaters on August 11th of 2023 uh, and follows a story based on real events following a teenager whose Gran Turismo skills win the GT Academy competitions held by Nissan for him to become an actual professional racer. Uh, which is something that does happen in the, the real world. The film will be directed by Neil Blomkamp, uh, the director behind District 9, which is a great movie. I love District 9. And interestingly, who was once tied to Microsoft's initial attempt at launching Halo to the big screen back during the 360 days when it fell apart, uh, which was very interesting. I think he's a, a solid director, and I think that this is definitely a different take than I thought. I would have thought, like I mentioned previous, that this would be a show. Once I heard it was, once I learned it was a movie, I figured it wasn't that. But I still think that there's plenty of room for a Gran Turismo, just car enthusiast show, to work and bring people into the games, since that's what the games are. The games are just car enthusiasts. You know, manifested into something where you can ogle and oogle over every aspect of a car and have as much or as, as much or as little involvement as you can in getting into it and then going and driving whatever said car. Um, and seeing it be a movie and be somewhat of an actual story where there's probably going to be some drama tied into it is an interesting move. We'll have to see how that ends up playing out. Clearly, racing movies have their thing. Ford versus Ferrari was a very big movie. I've never seen uh, that still. To be f- I, know was, I know that's Ryan's. I haven't seen it yet either. One of Ryan's favorite movies. But it's got a... Shout out to my boy, oh, Louisiana. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know that. I'm not surprised. Seems like a cool movie. I just never ended up watching it. It's Christian Bale and... Who's the other dude? Matt Damon? I think so. Yeah, interesting. Um, all right. Next thing... And I guess looking at this last thing, uh, much of Xbox's third party, or at least the last thing I have typed out this way, we can probably talk a little bit more about Xbox's showcase as a whole, since that's what this is in relation to. I'm not gonna lie, I didn't much watch of the Xbox's showcase. third party reveals interesting. You should at least look what was on it. No, I saw like what was on it, but, but I, but like I, only, I can only recall. It would two be things. interesting to watch it. it. It would be interesting to watch it. 
because it's probably the best showcase that Xbox has ever had, in my opinion, from a sheer understanding of mostly how to pace something, how to get out of your own way, and the one thing that sadly had to be stressed as though it was important because it is important, but sadly it's treated like it's not usual in the industry because it's not, and it should be that they talked about everything that was shown being something that you can play within the next 12 months. So essentially they're saying everything that you're seeing today, if everything goes according to plan, you should have had the opportunity to play and have it in your hands before the next time that we do this same time of the year showcase, That's a really which statement. is a big deal. Mm-hmm. I have a feeling that at least one thing is probably going to slip past, but it's a bold thing to try, and I appreciate the effort uh, nonetheless. And a lot of what they showed looks like it's getting ready to come, so I bet it'll happen. But all that being said, it had a lot of third-party reveals, as they often do within these. But apparently, the third-party reveals, some of them, excuse me, some of them were embargoed with companies not allowed to announce the non-Xbox slash PC versions of games until 48 hours after the event. So titles like Persona 3 Portable, Persona 4 Golden, and Persona 5 Royale will all be making it to PS5, as well as Team Ninja's new Wolong Fallen Dynasty. They just were not announced during the show. That's no problem. Very seldom do you see the opponent, you know, the uh, the opposing side, I guess, in this sense, um, include like you know you don't see playstation saying hey this game's coming to playstation and xbox they show it as playstation and then shortly after the uh the event's over they immediately clarify this game is coming to both playstation and xbox but in this case that was not what happened though it seemed to impact announcements from japanese companies specifically as minecraft legends was immediately confirmed to come to ps5 and switch after the showcase as opposed to that 48 hour uh embargo window so this is an uncommon occurrence but it's likely due to microsoft aiming to change the optics with fans of japanese games after a strong start for series consoles in japan series s and x have both been doing significantly better in tracking than the Xbox one did in this same point of its lifespan. I think that the Xbox series has already outsold Xbox one in Japan (laughs) for the entire life cycle of Xbox one. So that's really saying something. Chris brought to my attention that as far as he's concerned, this same thing happened with Scarlet Nexus. I don't recall that, but it wouldn't surprise me. And it seems like it's all tied into Microsoft wanting to have 48 hours of news ruling the roost that they are the place to go to for these big Japanese titles. And while I can't say I blame them, it is a little weird, uh, you know, to look at this and say, why not just go ahead and let them say if it's going to be a day one, same release. But it's clear that Microsoft, not for the first time, is trying again to make to break heavily into not only the Japanese market, but into the market outside of Japan for people who really love Japanese games. And considering that PlayStation continues to censor a lot of Japanese output, they have a big opportunity to pick up the slack there and act as Nintendo does and do that. Um, so, Saul, Given the information, since I know you didn't watch the actual event, but you knew what was there, um, I assume that much like me, whenever I was watching the announcement before it came, it seemed kind of crazy that 
that they got persona. Awesome. Not surprised they got persona. They've been, they put in the work and did it. But I remember thinking, okay, the, the showcase is over. Why haven't I seen any news blurb that talks about how these are also coming to PlayStation? That was pretty interesting because that is a very PlayStation heavy uh, a series that kind of suddenly betrayed that in this little moment. Uh, so what are your thoughts on that? If you would have told me last week that Persona was going to be announced at a play- Xbox conference for Xbox, and let alone not only that, but since a, a game, Persona 3, that we haven't had since the PSP, I would have called you a liar and slapped you across your face. <laughs> and yet here we are. You so, know what so, got Same me. thing goes for Persona 4. Haven't had that since P, uh, PS Vita. And and yet, and it's at an Xbox event, confirmed on an Xbox console before you even hear. I didn't even know it came out on consoles for PlayStation 2 yesterday, like because what we're about to talk about. It's absolutely wild. Gives me hope, though, it's coming out on the Switch. Yeah. Give me that on Switch. You never know. I mean, I don't really know why they choose to or not to do that. Um, but you know what's funny is that, much like you were talking about, and I want to even go look and see if I can find it, um, and Blake and uh, Chris, you know, Discord that we have and kind of communicate with each other, there was a leak that uh, that Blake had put in like the day before the, the Microsoft one, and it showed some stuff. And I remember the time we were talking about how Silk Song was shown. Um, and that's also it was in the list. And I thought that's probably not a real leak. Because Silk Song, as far as everything shows, has part has a deal with Nintendo for either marketing or at the very least limited exclusivity. You know, limited a time exclusivity, much like we saw with um, with Hollow Knight, the original release. And lo and behold, I was proven wrong, and they got that. Now, of course, it's not the, they didn't get anything exclusive, but they got a reveal for a game that had strong ties to Nintendo. And that genuinely surprised me. Um, so in that sense, I'm, I'm going back and looking to see if Persona was included in that leak. Because did they talk about, yeah, Ark was shown, Age of Empires, console edition. I don't know if that was shown. Wolf Among Us 2 was definitely not shown. So... And neither was Sinua Saga. So this was definitely a, a fake leak for the game showcase. Yeah, if you just guess but enough, it is funny. it'll eventually be right. That Silk Song was included on that. Yeah, Silk Song it, is... Everwild was also mentioned, and that's clearly not the case. Interesting. <laughs> we, we did not see Everwild. Um, so whoever guessed Silk Song, man, your, uh, your bullshit is just able to reach the top. So... Unlike Macho Man Randy Savage's uh, statement about the cream always rising to the top, your bullshit rose to the top. Congratulations. <laughs> um, so the showcase as a whole was kind of interesting because I saw some people say that they thought it was underwhelming because it doesn't go up. Uh, you know, I've seen some people say it doesn't bat strongly enough against PlayStation and it's still too little of Microsoft having any of their investment pay off yet. Uh, we still didn't get to see really any of the games that are coming besides Starfield, which was in development far before they ever bought Bethesda. So when you look at it this way, the only game that they really have and shown that's coming from a studio, again, I'm not going to say any, this is the argument that people are giving. The only big game 
coming from studios that they recently bought and invested in is really Starfield. Now, clearly, Obsidian has been a workhorse for them because Obsidian showed the full release of Grounded, which actually looks incredibly fun. I don't know if you saw that trailer, but Grounded is the game. It's been in early access for a while where you're basically, honey, I shrunk the kids. Yes, it's like the forest, but with bugs. It looks awesome. <laughs> it really looks fun. I want to try it since we all have Game Pass, if that's something everybody would be down, would to, be down do. to play. That. There's no reason not to. Uh, so we got to see that. Obsidian is also working on that new game that I cannot for the life of me remember, but it's that weird 2D style game. Um, and they're apparently, they're, you know, we know they're working on Avowed. We know Avowed's they're working on um, Avowed looks awesome so far. Again, we don't know much, but uh, Avowed sounds awesome and i know it's oblivion who do great work but they also are working on the follow-up to the outer worlds for the outer worlds too so they're a workhorse studio and they're putting a lot out um but we're not necessarily seeing the high-end triple a fruits of that labor and a lot of people talked about this showcase not showing enough of that um and it's just more hey we're finally partnering with certain people and it's weird um because I, I really thought it was a good showcase. Like Forza for the first time ever really surprised me and kind of impressed me because Forza's really upping its uh, simulation game and bringing things that Gran Turismo's had for a long time uh, into the fold and being like, hey, we're going to have multiple compounds of tires that you can look at. And tire management is going to come into play in a very different way than it was. Uh, gas management is going to come into play in a different way than it was because I think what used to separate Gran Turismo from Forza in a way where people like to compare them, but I just think they're incomparable, is that Forza's version of sim racing was still far too arcadey in the sense that you couldn't break down into them as much as I would have wanted. And now they're bringing it up to where the most clutch and fun parts of Gran Turismo, Gran Turismo is fun across the board, but the most fun I had in Gran Turismo 7 is those races that I was doing where I'm having to think about what car I'm choosing. Think about how lean versus rich I want to run my fuel mixture so that I know I can eke out an extra lap and avoid, or two laps if I'm lucky, and avoid the pits so that I can gain some positions. And then when everybody else pits again, then I go into the pits and I gain positions as a, as a result. Um, that's the most fun for that series, choosing the right tires, making sure you don't have to pit and change tires as often as some other person because those games are set up to where they are won or lost in the pit. The pit crew and how you choose to set your car up to where you can be the most efficient as possible and pit as little as possible and then just, of course, have your driving skill is where those games are won or lost, those races, and that's fun. And that's not what Forza really was in that to that degree. So it's cool. I, I was very impressed by Forza, and I hope that it comes out and blows people away. Um, there's, of course, a bunch of third-party uh, games that were shown that look really good. Scorn looks really cool. Some of these are coming to Game Pass Day 1. That's awesome. I appreciate that. Uh, but, you know, the heavy hitters that I think a lot of people wanted to see is that we knew we were going to see Starfield, and I felt like Starfield disappointed for me. Uh, I'm glad that there are people that seem to be excited for it. But across the board, I still think the pacing and the timing for the showcase was impeccable. I thought that the, the showcase never spent too much time on having one person sit up on stage and talk about stuff, which I don't know if you watch Summer Games Show. No. Jeff Keighley's Summer Game Show. You watched some of it when you were at the house for Yukio Night. Yeah, it was awful. But it felt like far too often it was just, hey, <clears throat> have this person on screen talking about things that, for me, my preference for pacing, I didn't care about. I didn't need to see the general manager for Call of Duty talk about how Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 is going to 
revolutionize gaming. Show me that. Show me the trailers and then show me the things that you're saying are going to revolutionize. If you can't show me, then you probably aren't really revolutionizing. Um, not saying that they aren't, but I didn't need to hear it. It's my biggest argument. Prove <laughs> um, it. So, yeah, exactly. Just prove it. Uh, we'll see how that ends up going off, but I liked it for the most part. This thing got out of its own way and kind of gave us the old Sony E3 game, 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 announcement, announcement. Take a quick break. Have a couple of words just to give you a pace where you can kind of yearn to see games smack you in the face again, and then bam, game, game. I thought they did a good job. And Chris, did you ever remember the game, the name of that Obsidian game uh, that actually looks incredibly cool? Pentinet, yes. Yeah, that's- uh, that game looks awesome. And it's it's a very, it, it looks like a low budget, I don't, I don't want to say low budget, it looks like a a budgeted experience that is unique and you won't find anywhere else. And it's the kind of game that I really hope Sony is trying to build up studios to put out on their service. Because why not? Why not? Yeah, I agree. You, you know, Chris, you talked about uh, Hades and buying those studios. Get those studios that can make you these types of experiences and just say, guess what? The next game of the year style game that you get from uh, the, the people behind Hades, I can't think of their name. Super right Giant. Um, uh, Super Giant, yeah. There's Super Giant, Giant Sparrow, Super Massive. All these names just kind of start to melt together. But. Yeah, buy, buy Supergiant or partner with Supergiant and be like, hey, guess what? Their next game, day one, PS, you know, PS Plus premium and extra tiers. And, or hey, we bought them outright. You can look forward to all their games coming out as PS Plus extra tier games, day one. Mm-hmm. Why not? Those are, the, that, those are interesting games that can pull in a big audience if you put them in in an accessible way. Hades proved that, and I think Microsoft was smart enough to see that it wouldn't surprise me if Penitent was probably being made before the purchase. Maybe not, though. There's, I could see that game being made in the two years since two, three years since they've been bought. But either way, I'm glad that Microsoft sees whatever value in it enough to let them finish it or even start developing it and then release it. And I, uh, I hope to see more of that. So, Chris, I know Saul didn't end up watching the actual event, but I know he he saw some of what was on. I know that you watched the event in real time. What were your thoughts on it? Um, I think without that ending i think this is a bad showcase personally um none of these games i i for the most part a lot of these now what do you mean by that the ending because I'm, I'm curious starfield no persona kojima those were the stuff that got me oh, okay you, you you're talking yeah the the entire ending yeah the, the end sprint right exactly because yeah. i think it had a hot start a really low middle and then a hot ending and then like a middle of the road like final game showcase because i don't know starfield starfield looks great like i'm excited i'll definitely play it but i also don't really know what it is and i think i said it to you and and blake in that chat but like i don't know how the animations look better and somehow look worse (laughs) it's very weird all at the same time yeah yeah i don't it's it's very clearly in a it's very clearly a Bethesda yeah, game. Yeah, it was weird because all the animations <laughs> look smoother, but stiff. And it kind of made it look worse than it does in the old ones. Well, I think what it is is like the level of fidelity for certain things are so high that some of the things that used to look like you're seeing the things that are more fluid, but it just makes the stiff things stand out that much right. more. And so that juxtaposition kind of smacks you a lot harder than it did in a game like Oblivion or Skyrim. Yeah, these guys, all Bethesda games, like NPCs, have stone face. And it's super weird. 
Yeah, very expressionless faces mm-hmm. is has been just a consistency, and I mean it's fine. It's like forceful, but sometimes it's like where it's like you can see, oh, yeah. he's about to be surprised because his eyebrows slowly shot up, <laughs> you know, and they do that in this trailer. Yeah, yeah, it's it's odd. It's just weird when you're coming through a time where I guess there was a point in time where I thought that they felt like they were pioneers in that industry. They are. And I feel like they haven't really pioneered that industry, in my opinion. They haven't really, that doesn't mean they haven't put out games that people have enjoyed or that were even good. But I don't feel like they've really pioneered the RPG engine mm-hmm. uh, or uh, industry since Skyrim. I don't think Fallout 4 pioneered anything. I think it's a solid game. I know that for some people, they really loved it. But I don't know what it really did. New. I don't really know what it did to expand RPGs in a way that other games didn't already beat Bethesda to the punch to. When Bethesda used to always beat everyone else to the punch to. I mean, it's a good thing because Bethesda games likely inspired a lot of the other RPGs that ended up coming up and kind of smacking them out of the water, in my opinion at least, or at least beating them to the punch. But I kind of wish Bethesda still had that feeling because, as I've said, I think The Outer Worlds is a better Bethesda game than any Bethesda game put out last generation and I don't really know how to reconcile that in my head but that's how I feel yeah um, I don't know I I love Bethesda games like obviously I love them I just think that they they have a style that they're very comfortable with and they don't deviate from it and then they do stuff that like I don't think is necessarily the greatest move like thousands of planets like okay and it's like some of these are not going to be built out and mean anything and it was funny because i saw on twitter i was reading a stuff about starfield and jess corden was tweeting about how it's funny that people think like oh these planets will be nothing it's a waste of time to do all these planets and then he tweeted out later he was like imagine all the mods that people can do on all the blank planets now you just you literally just said the problem there are going to be blank planets (laughs) And that's that worries me. I'd rather there's a hundred planets that were designed, but I'll see. I'm gonna be honest with you. Cut that down. I'd rather it be one solar system of ten, nine, twelve planets yeah. that are all handcrafted. Mm-hmm. I, I, I let me say this because I, 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 clearly it's not even feasible to fully develop twelve planets. But you can develop the feeling of 12 planets that give them uniqueness. Use random generation, you know, procedural generation to help you form the terrain and whatnot. And then handcraft things to do within those things that make each planet feel important enough to make the trek to them important. Um, But this goes back to my thing about not loving the idea of endless open worlds. I don't. I don't think that that's a goal you should go towards. And it, it kind of goes back to the conversation we were having before the podcast, Chris, but it's the idea yeah, that it, I think that it tends to weaken a creative endeavor when Skyrim is so much better to me as a game with an end than, a, than the people who actually choose to be like, I want to do a new radiant quest every two hours because then you're just it's like it's like Skyrim on life support. Why can't you just be like I had a good time with Skyrim. Let me not play it for a while and then I'll come back and revisit the magic in a year or two when it when it will feel like I want to experience that again. I'd rather it I'd I'd rather the infamous two you've cleared the whole city and there's nothing else for you to do besides have fun traversing the city. 
but you're never going to face another bad guy. I'd rather that be every game's end as an open world than just another settlement needs your help. <laughs> another settlement needs your help. I just don't care. And a thousand planets sounds like a whole lot of another settlement needs your help. Yep. A whole lot. Yes, it does. I'm not crapping on it, though. I just... I'm going to make him. Do I think No Man's Sky is a cool game? Yes, but the premise of No Man's Sky is to just literally explore and have fun doing so with your friends. You're telling me Starfield is supposed to be an RPG where you're supposed to live out roles and do things, and there's quests and people who want you to do things. That's not what No Man's Sky is. And I still think No Man's Sky has um, over a million planets that are pointless. Every planet in No Man's Sky is pointless, but their purpose comes from the gameplay loop of you going to them, exploring them to get the materials you need to continue to up, you know, to build that new vehicle, to build your new base. And if you're telling me that that's the loop in Starfield, then Starfield's redundant because that game exists already. Mm-hmm. And if that's not what Starfield is, even though it shares a lot of the similarities, then what is Starfield in a way that's meaningful and makes it work in a sense where it's not No Man's Sky? And I need to know that. And right now, I don't clearly know the answer. Story, sure, but is it just still primarily a thousand planets that are as empty and mostly meaningless as No Man's Skies? Probably. Then I don't really care. I'll play it and, and you know, I'll just straight, you know, Free base, whatever you want to call the drug, different things. I'll, I'll just, I'll just mainline into the uh, the the main story and just call it quits. Yeah, and that seems like the right way to play it. Which, which is a shame because that should not be how you want to leave any Bethesda game, in my yeah. opinion. Sounds the linear. the story should be the appetizer that makes you want to go out and play all the other stuff, like we talked about with Skyrim. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't just be like, oh, I killed killed the dragon. So I guess I'm done here. An open world that directs <laughs> you to a critical path and doesn't even try and entice you off it is not an open world game. Oh. And you know, it's it's funny because I know you have that opinion about New Vegas, mm-hmm. and I love New Vegas. Even and I'll even admit that New Vegas can be. I don't want to call it linear because I agree with Blake in the sense that calling it linear, even though I know you're being hyperbolic realistically, you're trying to imply that you're creating a world with no real purpose, which is my same argument against Spider-Man, you know, in a way, but in the sense that while you have an open world, the game really just directs you through one path Mm -hmm. and lets you beat it and doesn't try and convince you to go off to the other ones. And that is an issue. But I think that's a lot more palatable in an open world on a single planet with a single area of traversal than it is across thousands of planets. I think that's a much harder thing to get somewhere to go to because my question would be when they have data for that game, how many of those planets are going to have never been touched? Uh, And I have a feeling that's going to be a bunch of them. (laughs) It sounds to me like this game is going to be a lot of build your settlement Go to this planet, drain all the iron, go back, build up your settlement, go to this next planet. Oh, it's gold rich. Here's all the gold. Go to this planet. Here's all your helium. Go to this planet. You found water. You know, that's what it seems like this is going to be, which is cool. That's that's definitely a that, type of game. That just, you know what that sounds like? Well, also, there's no free flying from planet to planet. So it's like a ratchet and clank visiting planet system where you go to each planet. You don't fly to them. No. Uh, from what I've seen, it's, it's from what I understand, there's no... Hey, you're going to go out and fly in space like No Man's Sky. 
which is interesting because some of what they're talking about here sounds like this would be a game that would be more interesting to people who like Elite Dangerous. Saul, you're the one who played Elite, right? Where yeah. you that's essentially the game is just being somebody who basically owns a ship and runs through this area. And that's it. That's the fun for people. And that's fine. But it sounds like you have a lot of the mechanics that work with that, but without the ability to freely fly in space and the danger that comes along with that and the resource management that comes from what happens if I run out of fuel in the middle of space? (laughs) I don't know. I guess to be fair to the game, they probably don't want you to run out of fuel in the middle of space because then you're stuck. Unlike elite where you can pay somebody to come get you out or (laughs) just ask somebody real nicely to come give you fuel. Please save. That's the difference. I don't know. I'm curious about Starfield, but at this point I'm curious of how they're going to convince me that I need to play it when right now they've not done that. I'm going to play it in 2024. It's just not something right now I have enough information on to be excited about. I'll play it. Not maybe as soon as it comes out, but I'll play it for free. Unless, again, unless the review scores are just crazy and like I, there's a reviewer I really like, like ACG or something that does a dive that makes me understand the loop. Or if they don't show more by then. <coughs> but right now, they got to show me more. Mm-hmm. And normally, I like being excited for what I'm going to see in the future when I already know I want to play the game. But right now, I'm not excited. I just I want to see more because I'm hoping they can convince me that I need to play this game, which they've not done yet. Um so, all right. Well, is there any other thoughts that you guys want to talk about in relation to the showcase? Or are we good to wrap up? No, I'm good. Um, yeah, I'm pretty good. Okay. Well, I think we will come back with a real community stake. I'm sorry, guys. I think this one's going to be, did you watch the Xbox showcase? If not, do you know what came with it? And how do you feel about how it stacks up against State of Play? Uh, I think Saul said something pretty interesting earlier in which I agree. It's nice to see that both Sony and Xbox, you know, week or so apart, both had strong showcases. Much like Chris said, I think that realistically, the PlayStation showcase was probably a little more my speed, but there was plenty of things that I thought was good. I guess my final word is that Redfall went from looking at a game from the leaks that came out that I would never touch to a game that I'm willing to try right now. I think it looks interesting enough for me to try. I still want to see more on it as well. But it, Chris, you remember when those leaks came out? Yep. I remember looking at those screenshots and being like, there is no way in hell that I want to play this game. It goes to show you what a little bit of time can do because the, the game looks like an arcane game to me now. It's, and those leaks, it did not look like an I'm arcane surprised game. you brought it up. But yeah, I thought that game looked awful. And oh, uh, I know you thought it looked awesome. I just did never got to talk about it, and I forgot it existed until you mentioned it. But yeah, I think I think that game's gonna suck. And they just announced today that and all the campaign progress well is only uh, tied to the host. So enjoy wasting your time. I hate that. it's a waste. Of I time. why do people insist on making? Making games multiplayer, or uh, making games co-op, and then having it to be like, well, never mind. You only can unlock it on yours. I feel the same way about Destiny and the take in the uh, the Witch Queen expansion. There was no reason that Saul, Saul should not be have considered to have beat the Witch Queen expansion. Yeah, that's crazy. Just because he wasn't the host, that is stupid. Yep. It's artificial inflation of the <laughs> game to make it feel like you have more to do. It's <laughs> all they're doing. No, you're right. You're right. I just the way you said it's, it, it's very funny. Yeah, but you know what? Well, I do want to talk about one thing that we didn't talk about and saw. I'm hoping you've seen it because for a game that is co-op and does share progress across everyone who plays it and does look quite great, 
Diablo 4 being shown finally in gameplay form looked phenomenal. Yeah. Diablo 4 looks like I, I, as someone who loved Diablo 3 and played the hell out of it, but eventually got tired of it after doing 400 quests <laughs> or whatever the, the bounties are for that platinum. God help me. Give that Diablo 2 platinum. <laughs> it's, it's nice to see that it's, I don't think I will. I want new Diablo that I'm not familiar with and that has some new elements yeah. to it. The verticality of Diablo 4 looks awesome. <clears throat> the co-opable nature of it, the idea of going into an actual open world that other people can be around in sounds awesome. PvP sounds awesome. I'm down. And I always like the way that they do the stories in Diablo so far. So I think Diablo 4 looks awesome. And I'm glad it's still coming to PlayStation, even if they are clearly not going to ever market it as a PlayStation game. <laughs> because Activision just sitting there like, well, we're waiting to be bought. So we're just going to say, hey, here, Microsoft, do you have this? Yeah. Uh, do you remember that Diablo uh, 3 was shown off during the PlayStation 3 yeah, showcase for E3? I do. So we've got a big old flip. It's, it's funny. Um, yeah, so I don't know if you saw it, but you need to play Diablo 4 with me. Yeah, it, it looks cool. I'll mm, play it. Maybe. Necromancer is a day one class. That's all I'm worried about, baby. Because the Necromancer <laughs> is so fun when they added it as a class in uh, in Diablo 3. Super good. I'm ready. I implore you to look at the gameplay if you haven't. And if you still feel like maybe, then fair enough. May not be for you. But it, it looks amazing. So wrapping that up, like I said, we will get this out to you guys. What do you think of the Xbox showcase? What was shown there? What was announced? Uh do you think that Kojima's game should be canceled? <laughs> what a dumb... Did you see the, uh, yeah, the petition? The, the petition for it? So stupid. I was... And did you see that he had to take to Twitter to be like, I still have a great relationship with PlayStation. Please be excited for other projects. Like, the dude basically, to, to stop online vitriol, had to come out and say, guys, I'm also working on a game for PlayStation. Please shut the fuck up. Yeah, that was, but that's the that's thing. That's where we landed. Uh, first off, I, I was reading, because I have this a separate Twitter account from the one that I advertised with the show or whatever, and I it's very much all... Is that where you look at your nudie girls? No, that's on my main account. Um <laughs> but no, it's all like strictly video game stuff. And all I get on that is like console fanboy wars for some reason, even though I only follow dev teams yeah. and, and journalists. That's all I follow. But supposedly the conspiracy on the Sony pony side is that an Xbox fan made that petition to make the Sony t- Twitter guys look bad. It's so dumb. All of this oh. is so stupid. And um, here's, here's the reality. Is that possible? 100%. Makes, yeah. I just, you know, I don't think Kojima should be getting any sh- any crap. Like, make your mobile cloud game. That's cool. But he should have expected that people were going to freak out. Like, I, I would have known that. Oh, I bet that he did. If it, I would honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if he had some of these statements pre, like, ready to go. He plays for Twitter Blue, and he's like, guys, we have this at the ready. We're going to fire this baby off mm-hmm. as soon as stuff hits the fan. And if it doesn't hit the fan, we'll just delete the post. Dude, uh, <laughs> well, we won't even let it go out. I don't know if you, you guys talked about it when I was gone, but do you think Overdose is his Xbox game, or do you think that's the PS5 uh, game? Because nothing was shown for Kojima, I chose not to talk about it. I don't know. I, honestly, this man could have three games being yeah. made right now. Yeah, I think I, I... If we're to believe from Norman Reedus that Death Stranding 2 is happening. Yeah. Well, it's like, I, I, I almost think that, like, Norman Reedus actually kind of told you how long that game was going to take. Because he did, he said he did two to three years of mocap. 
So if they just started mm-hmm. that game, it's two to three years away. Um, my thing with overdose, and I know it's a leak, and I guess we didn't cover it, but that seemed to me like if they have the the logo, a trailer is already leaked. If it wasn't, if it was an Xbox game, they would have shown it there. I agree. So I don't think that's what it yeah. is. But either way, Saul. Uh, let's wrap this baby up. Go ahead and give us our outro rig and roll. Sure. For those that want to follow us on different media websites, you can find us over at Twitter at Triangle SQRD. You can find us at Facebook as a group as Triangle Squared at PlayStation Podcast. You can also find our Discord link in the description below for our YouTube video and YouTube. See our beautiful faces. That's over at youtube.com slash Nartech. And for just as little as a dollar a month, you can help support us on Patreon. Goes to stuff like mic arms, cameras, and all that good stuff, not for personal use. Um, so yeah, you uh, you also get your name read out credit style at the end of every episode. And uh, I'll let Brett take, Brett take care of that. Uh, this has been episode 265. We'll see you all back for 266. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. We'll see you all next week. And a big shout out to our new patron of the month, Awesome Dave one three three seven. Hopefully not our only new patron of the month. Some of you other guys. Hey, listen, you, yeah, you with, with the ears listening to this, consider becoming a patron for one dollar. <laughs> awesome Dave did so, and he is definitely awesome for so. So we have Awesome Dave one three three seven, Aztec King, Lechion sixty nine, the Lord Corgi, Salvador Garcia. Hammond Dagger, Bailey Robertson, Mark Schutz, Cypher Primus, Kyle Grimm, Rude Days 93, Joshua Lago, Kevin Bacon Bits, Luke Rabbit, Danny Villiobos, Jehudi MD, Sean, Josh Ayers, Derek Porter, Constantly Kenny, Matthew Green, Sean Santarude, Stephen Salazar, Shadowist, and lastly, my name is Dan. Thank you all. We hope to see you next week. Thank you.